Hey everybody, Matt, Jess and Dave here. Sorry Jess, just butting in quickly to let the listeners know that I'm going to be in Sydney uh, this week coming up the 8th to the 12th of May and uh, you can get tickets now via mattsfieldcomedy.com then going straight to Brisbane on the 16th to the 19th. So tickets for my show Dry Dryer. In Sydney and Melbourne. Sorry, Matt, I'll just cut you off there. I just need to tell everyone that our quiz show, our web series is out right now. Do go on the quiz show. You can see it on Stupid Old Channel for free on YouTube. Type in, do go on the quiz show, and you can see three episodes right now covering topics like Google, Queen Victoria, the Olympics, and we've got five more episodes coming up. So like and subscribe, whatever that means. They are big topics too. And I said Sydney and Melbourne. I meant Sydney and Brisbane. Anyway, let's get on with the show. I'm still here too. (laughs) Oh, hey, Jess. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and Jess Perkins. Hello, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, Jess. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so good to see you. So good to see you. So good to you see you. You look so beautiful in that colour. You do too. Oh, my God. Thank you. <coughs> you are glowing. <laughs> you are, I was literally about to say you are glowing. Hey, how good is it to be alive? Oh, man, I love to be alive. It's so good. Yeah, it's so great, especially when I'm with my best friend, Matt. <laughs> What is this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just got you got a weird vibe today. <laughs> yeah, we don't like it. <laughs> is it because I'm not wearing a green shirt like yeah. Matt? Yeah, that's right. Wearing a black shirt. I'm the bad boy of this <laughs> podcast. Also, um, I mean, I'm also wearing a black shirt, but okay. Um, yeah, uh, but yours is a picture of Dolly Parton, <laughs> which really <laughs> it does soften it takes a bit, it out. <laughs> yeah, mine uh, is just plain black. Uh, I think it's just that we're getting the Sass Twins energy early. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to be. Uh, we're gonna rooted. Abs- we are gonna episode. rip you a new one. Yeah. Anyway, little boy, do you want to explain how this show works? Well, what we do here is we're taking turns to report uh, on a topic often suggested to us by a listener. We, what we've done is we've gone away, done a bit of research, then brought it back, and it is my turn to do that this week, which traditionally means I get sassed. Yeah, we can't help it. And um, you're very sassable. We we always start with a question. Okay. My question to you is what. Is the best way to travel across the Western Alaskan wilderness? Sled. Plane. Oh, yeah. Plane's probably. Sled plane. Sled plane. Sled plane. Put them together and what have you got? Sled plane. An incorrect answer. Matt, (laughs) you are correct. It is sled. Dog sledding. Dog sledding. Wow. Is this one about one of those Disney movies where dogs sled in Alaska? Legitimately the basis of 
several is it, Disney movies. Is it Bolto? Yeah, right. It is, but the subject kind of inspires, well, very much inspires Bolto. Have oh you my seen God. Bolto? I've wanted, like, I, yes. You've seen Bolto? <laughs> yes. There's a goose in it, and at one point he says, I'm getting people bumps, and that's funny because people get goose bumps. Uh, that's actually a goose good stuff. who gets people bumps. I would really need to listen to the director's commentary track on the DVD to get that. Really? Joke, I yeah. got it as a child. Really? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was wow. very funny that's advanced as a child. Humor. That is advanced. That is good shit. People bumps. Um, this did, is great. Did you walk around the room and explain to your family what was? Yeah. What's, so what's going on there? I'd right? be like, this goose has lost its mind. <laughs> I've got people. That's bumps. not a thing. <laughs> That's what my parents said as I explained the joke. This kid's lost her mind. <laughs> yes, we are going to uh, talk about Balto the yes. dog in this in this journey. Wow, I've never heard of Balto the dog, but somehow I knew that Disney had movies about dogs and sleds. Yes, it's a 1995 movie starring Kevin Bacon as Balto and Phil Collins as Muck and Luck, a pair of polar bears. Phil Collins? He voiced not one but two characters. And I'm guessing that they weren't wearing jackets. Those polar bears, no jacket required. Right, Kevin Bacon playing a dog, voicing the dog or fully going- Fully like, playing the dog, Andy yeah. circusing it. That's right, yeah. yeah. Wow. It, wasn't, did, it he, was not required, no, but he did it. did yep. not film it. Yeah, but he did it. Yeah, no green balls required. That's the Kevin Bacon album. <laughs> uh, this topic's been suggested by a bunch of people, and I appreciate them. First of all, Pamela Garrity from Eagle River in Alaska, where our story takes place today. Claire Hesselmans from Croydon Hills here in Victoria. Megan Castle from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Oof. Brandy Broyhill from Greensboro, North Carolina. Does anyone have any facts about North Carolina? Yes. Uh, that is where the Venus flytrap's from. Fantastic. Do you know it's also the first uh, place they had mini golf? Oh. A mini golf course. That's interesting. Almost. That, and it had a pun name, I think, from memory. Can't remember what it was. Near Enough or something like that. I think that's it. Fantastic. And uh, that joke's near enough for me. And finally- <laughs> It wasn't a joke. <laughs> no, no, I think they're, they're, they're joking. Okay. And finally this'll, from- This'll wood. This'll, this'll, oh, this'll do. do. This'll do. Jeez, you've got a good memory. Famously. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, near enough. And finally from McKinney in Texas, Alicia Moore. Thank you so much. Actually, first of all, so do you remember much about the Disney movie, Jess? Mostly the that one line from The Goose. Um, I haven't watched it in quite some time, but I remember that they needed medicine. Yes. This is a an epic journey with a, a ticking clock. Mm. Whoa. It's a chemist run. Yeah. It is. This is called the Gnome Serum Run. Serum. Ooh. There they are after the a serum. The only kind of serum I use is um, for skincare, not medicinal. You know? Yeah, well, but you, sometimes you're desperate for that. You will. Embark on a hazardous journey to get that That's serum. Right. I'll make my dog drag me on a skateboard to get some La Roche Posay. That's right. I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. So our story takes place in Nome, Alaska, situated on the southern side of the Seaward Peninsula, on the coast of the Bering Sea. So a few minds to imagine this. It's in the very western side of Alaska. So it's only a few hundred kilometers from Russia. The Bering oh, wow. Sea, the one that that freezes over, and you can you can walk across it. But no one yet has been able to drive across it, uh, even though they thought they could in our episode about the New York <laughs> to Paris I mean, motorist. Surely oh. they've tried that on Top Gear or something. Yeah. <laughs> they've got Richard Hammond in a Hummer or something. <laughs> I think they've, they've, someone's got one across there, but it was, it, it was like a Jeep converted into a boat. 
Like, uh, a bit of a loophole there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It is technically a car. <laughs> yeah, they used the James Bond Lotus that turned into a submarine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's actually much closer to Russia than it is to the rest of America. To give you an idea of how far it is to the rest of the United States, Nome is nearly 2,000 miles or 3,200 kilometres from Seattle, Washington. Wow. But it's only a few hundred K to Russia. How many MCGs is that? Or Olympic swimming pools. Mm. About 48,000. Wow. That's quite a distance. <laughs> he had that ready to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's lucky it- that Olympic swimming pools are and- 50 metres. Yes. <laughs> and also amazing that the MCG is the exact same size as an Olympic swimming <laughs> yeah. pool. So, it works for both. Depends on which angle you're taking it from, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So, And how do you spell gnome? What a, what a great name for a city. N-O-M-E. Gnome. Gnome. I like it a lot. Mm. I like it too. Now, Inupiat people, who are the indigenous people of northwestern Alaska, hunted for game on the west coast of Alaska from prehistoric times, and there is some recent archaeological evidence to suggest that there was an Inupiat settlement at Gnome, known in Inupiat as Sitnusawake. I'm going to have a few goes at some native Alaskan names here, and I have Googled how to pronounce each of them, but mm-hmm. there were a few conflicting uh, pronunciations. Okay. Wait, you're gonna, and you're going to just pick the right one in the edit? <laughs> you're going to pick, pick the right one in my mind. Okay. You're just going to have a go and do your very best. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say here. And I'll admit, I didn't actually know very much about Alaska. I don't know about you guys. I didn't know no. very much, but I looked into it. People have lived there for 10,000 years. Wow. Well, when you said what the term prehistoric, what does that what does that mean? Since when, when did history start? <laughs> You know, <laughs> I think it's before, before, like, what is it? How do they define it? I think it is. I'd never thought about that. I just, if I hear prehistoric, I'm like old. Yeah, no, I think I normally <laughs> I, do I too. Go, well, that's fucking ages. <laughs> before written records. Right. Okay. Right. What's oh, that? yeah, I guess that does make sense. Yeah, what's that, about 8,000 years ago or something? 8,000, 10,000 years wow. ago. So they've been there since before written records. Yeah. Hmm. Love that. Love according, that for them. According to Britannica, at the time, a land bridge extended from Siberia to eastern Alaska. So it would have been much easier <laughs> to drive back in the day to drive a Hummer with James May and the Stig <laughs> racing. Well, all three of them would have a go and, and then they'd have, like, the winner of, like, who got the best time and then they'd get the Stig in and the yeah. Stig would smash them all. <laughs> I used to watch a lot of that show. Yeah, my family used to sit yeah. down and watch Top Gear. Same. Have they dropped off since the change of cast? Yeah, since Matt LeBlanc started co-hosting Matt with, with on Andrew there. Freddie Flintoff. Really? <laughs> Freddie? I don't know. I, I think both of them have since moved on as well, but they've had lots of different people come in and out. Freddie's recorded a podcast in, in the stupid old podcast studios. Really? Yeah. He did um, Fitbit with... Ah. Dill and Ben Lomas. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Hey, two degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Voice of Balto. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Okay. So there used to be a land bridge and migrants followed herds of animals across it. Of these migrant groups, the Athabascans, the Unagan Inuit, the Yupit, the Klingit and the Haida remained in Alaska and developed their own cultures. And now the name Alaska is derived from an Aleut word meaning the mainland or more literally the object towards which the action of the sea is directed. Oh, wow. That's that nice. Is Love that. That's that makes you funny. think. Love that. I don't fully get it, yeah, but it does sound really nice. <laughs> yeah, follow the sea. That's what the thinking comes <laughs> I have to really analyse this one. I'm going to need a pen and paper <laughs> at about 15 minutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we're going to need a blackboard. <laughs> yeah. A few equations. I don't get it. But it, it sounds nice. It does sound really nice. And then to compress a lot of time and history into one paragraph, the first European settlement wasn't established until 1784, first by Russian people. Then Russia sold the land to the United States in 1867 in a deal known as the Alaska Purchase, spearheaded by Secretary of State William H. Seward. At the time, the purchase was referred to as Seward's Folly by critics who were convinced that the land had nothing to offer. It's so funny, some of those deals that were yeah, made. Yeah, just selling land. Didn't, didn't France sell like half or like a third of what is now the US to America? For, oh, yeah, yeah. For a camel or something? <laughs> <laughs> and and hey, France still has that camel. Mm, so that's true. <laughs> but that you ca- feel like an idiot. Every French camel comes can be traced back to that camel. <laughs> and it's amazing that like this place has nothing to offer. Alaska was admitted to the Union as the 49th state, not until January 3rd, 1959, did it become a state. It's huge. Upon attaining statehood, Alaska increased the size of the United States by nearly one fifth. Whoa! And at the time, they're like this massive landmass. What's it going to offer? Why do we want this? <laughs> yeah. It's huge. Well, Seward's folly soon became Seward's success because at the end of the 19th century, gold was discovered in Alaska and that changed everything, especially in the area around Nome. Okay. In 1898, Eric Lind Blom, John Bernston and Jaffet Lindbergh. Okay. Incredible name. Known as Three Lucky Swedes, despite Lindbergh being Norwegian- (laughs) (laughs) But that's harder to write in a newspaper Two lucky Swedes and a lucky Norwegian Discovered gold in Anvil Creek Which is near Nome And thousands flocked to Nome Hoping to strike it rich And I mean thousands Wow In response to the rising population The city of Nome was incorporated As a city in 1901 During the peak of the gold rush Nome's population is estimated to have reached 20,000, making it Alaska's most populous city at the time. Hmm. And it had just exploded overnight. According to the Smithsonian, discovery of gold in Anvil Creek led to an incredible and unexpected revelation. This is a quote from the Smithsonian. Many of the stampeders who arrived too late to stake claims along the mouth of the river set up tents along the beach, where they made an amazing discovery. There was gold on the beach. Oh, my God. Miners swarming over the strike termed it Poor man's paradise. <laughs> so they got there too late to actually get into the actions. They're like, oh, I guess we'll sleep on the beach. And they're like, hey. There's gold the, here. This beach is made of gold. That's, that's great. So they found gold on the beach. Fantastic. Love and that. the new good news for them is land on the beach could not be staked or claimed. So claims were open to everyone. All these men and women needed were shovels, buckets, and a rocker to separate gold from sand. Mm. Also, a positive attitude. That's right. Mm. Which you always need. And the place transformed almost overnight. By 1900, a tent city on the beaches and on the treeless coast reached 48 kilometres long. What? 30 miles of tents. How many Olympic swimming pools? (laughs) Um, 960. (laughs) I take your word for it, but it does feel impressive. (laughs) (laughs) And the once tiny place quickly became congested and 100 saloons and dozens of stores, restaurants and hotels in tents and quickly constructed wooden buildings sprang up overnight. Here's the thing. You go to a music festival and all the tents look the same. 
Mm. I mean, not the ones where you like BYO tent, but like I, I go to Splendor and they put they put you in a tent in the VIP section. It's a terrible tent, but they put you in it, and they all look the same. And every year, I'm like, how the fuck am I going <laughs> to remember which tent's mine? Forty eight k's of this. Forty eight k's. I wouldn't bother. Yeah. I'd never find my tent again. You'd really, you'd want to have one of those, you know, those poles yeah. that have a bit of a, a marker on the top. A Jennifer Coolidge on it or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, I go at, at Meredith Music Festival, go to each year. Mm. My uncle Cam, he he's had bad form with this, and every tent does look different there. But he's got into other people's tents. <laughs> Um, no. One one time he got he went to the entirely wrong camp and he'd uh, he'd carried the esky back by himself thinking that everyone had left him down there. We hadn't. We, <laughs> we were still down there. He just lost us. So and taken the esky. <laughs> he took the esky. Dragged and he, it back. And he went threw back it in, in the end. middle of a. There was a group sitting around back at their campsite under a under their marquee type place, similarish to what we had. Threw it on the ground in the middle of them and went. I've never seen such a lazy bunch of c**ts. Oh, sorry about the language there. And then he looked up and didn't recognise any faces. And they looked at him and he's like, sorry, wrong camp. That's amazing. I picked up the esky and wandered back. And, and plenty of that is happening in this 48 kilometres of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That would be just happening all over All the shop. time. I've never seen sorry. such a bunch. <laughs> Okay. Yep. Wrong. Wrong. Wrong settlement. <laughs> wrong settlement. So, <laughs> sorry. Wrong gold diggers. Oh, so sorry. I'm about six k in the wrong direction. Oh my god. I love a beach walk, but not a forty-eight k one. <laughs> yeah, that's too far. Yeah. Do they have a singles ad newspaper there? Love walks along the beach. <laughs> we all do, mate. Yeah, we've got to do it, all right? <laughs> but by 1910, most of the gold had been found, and people left almost as fast as they had arrived. And by 1925, when today's story takes place, a lot less people living there. Tent City is over. Ray's is closed down. 455 Alaska natives and 975 settlers of European descent made up the population. And I make the distinction because that's what the history books do. At the time and up until the mid-1940s, racial segregation was common across Alaska, meaning Alaska natives were treated as second-class citizens, if not worse, to be honest. Alaska natives were restricted in where they could live, which hospitals would accept them, where they could go to school, and which restaurants or theatres they could enter. In 1945, the Alaska Equal Rights Act of 1945, I wonder where they got the name from, was passed largely in thanks to an incredible woman named Elizabeth Wanamaker Paratrovich, who was a member of the Klingit Nation. She and her husband Roy and a few others drafted and introduced an anti-discrimination bill in 1941. It failed, but she persisted, and in 1945 they again brought the bill before the Alaska Senate. It passed thanks to an impassioned and moving speech that Elizabeth gave detailing what it was like to be treated as a second-class citizen. The law signed on February 16, 1945 prevents and criminalises discrimination against individuals in public areas based on race. When speaking, one of her opponents, Alan Shattuck, which is, uh, from what I've read about this guy, an appropriate name, (laughs) asked if she expected the bill to stop all discrimination. And she said, Do your laws against larceny and even murder prevent these crimes? Yeah! No law will eliminate crimes, but but at least you legislators can assert to the world that you recognise the evil of the present situation and speak of your intent to help us overcome discrimination. Yeah, shut up. Dross. That's great. That's just riff. That's off the top of her dome. She's not reading a speech. That's That's conversational. Off the top of her gnome. (laughs) That is, uh, yeah, like, come on, man. Mm. 
What, he he must have been like, oh yeah, that's right, that's and, everything we do. Yeah, but in the moment he's like, oh, fucking god, god yeah. yeah. Oh, and you think this is just gonna magically fix it? She's like, no, I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. You are. He's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Oh uh, yeah, nah, point taken. Yeah. I, de- I definitely think he would have been like. Point taken. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I think he, he would have been I'll very take that gracious. All on board. I think yeah. he probably would have had to uh, sit down when the, the audience erupted in applause. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I think he went. You know what? You're absolutely right there, and I I do feel a little foolish, but I'm going to sit in this feeling of discomfort mm. because it's my own fault. You know, he would have been really cool and gracious. Either about he, it. Yeah, either he said that or he said no. Fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> so, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now February 16 is honoured as Elizabeth Paratrovich Day in Alaska. Every now and then you come across someone you've never heard of and it probably doesn't have enough info on them to have a full report. But mm. at the same time, you want more people to know about them. Yeah, that's great. So good on you. Fantastic. But our main story sadly takes place 20 years before that when discrimination was very rife in Nome in 1925. Even now, Nome has no highways or roads connecting it with the outside world. Basically, I think it's there's the longest trail out is about 80 miles of dirt road and then it just suddenly stops. That's as far as you can take your car. What? And it, so, you just go drive to see the end of the road and turn around? Yeah. So, so you, how do you get to Nome? Well, in the 1920s, it was mostly connected by boat. And that's right. how you get your cars in there still. You ship your boat in. How do you ship your car in. You ship your boat in. You and then boat on in. your boat is your car. <laughs> Fantastic. And then inside the car is you and you're there. <laughs> you and your dog. Yeah. That's it. That, yeah. From Russia. Russian doll style. That's just ship in yeah. a ship in a yeah. ship in a ship in a ship. <laughs> um, yeah. These days you can fly in and out. But back then, that it's very early days for planes. So, most mostly back then connected by boat. Mm. But during the seven-month-long winter- it becomes so frozen that boats can't get in and out. So, you're just stuck. Yeah. So, most of the year, like the majority of the year- That's it's- when you call Jeremy Clarkson and the stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stick gets in. <laughs> most of the year, it was cut off from everything else. Okay. The majority of the year. And in 1924, the town only had one doctor, Curtis Welsh. Dr. Welsh, I'll call him. I want a second opinion. Well, bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the doctor here. <laughs> he was assisted by four nurses at a local hospital and noticed in 1924 that the town's diphtheria antitoxin had expired. He placed an order in for a new shipment, but it didn't arrive before the winter sealed Gnome off from the rest of the oh. world. Yeah, that feels like an oversight. Dr. Welsh became concerned when in autumn two children died under unexplained circumstances and his fears only began to grow when on Christmas Day, that's right, this is a Christmas episode, 1924, (laughs) seven-year-old Margaret Ida fell ill and died just three days later. A fourth child, Billy Barnett, died a few days after that. All four had been diagnosed with tonsillitis, but with four deaths, he started to worry that he was dealing with something much, much worse. But also, he's the doctor, so he's the one diagnosing them, and he has. it sounds like he hasn't diagnosed them properly. Yeah, maybe he needs to get a second opinion. Mm. But just the fact that you mentioned that diphtheria drug before makes me wonder if that's related. No, I don't think it is. Well, he'd gone through the Rolodex of what it could be, and he had initially discounted diphtheria as it's really contagious, and he expected if it was diphtheria, it should have shown up in the sick kid's family members. Right. Right. He's like, it can't be that. They'd all have it. It's probably tonsillitis, but then they started getting so sick that they were dying, he thought, I've got to look at this again. But now with four dead, he started to think he might be wrong. So he didn't want to tell the town too quickly out of risk of panicking everyone because mm. he wasn't sure. Sadly, his fears became a reality when a few days later, a young Inuit girl became seriously ill 
and Dr. Welsh this time diagnosed her as having diphtheria. So Dr. Welsh called an emergency meeting of the town's elders and leaders, and I say that, all white people, I should say. He told them that their town was facing an outbreak of diphtheria, and diphtheria is nasty stuff. The Australian government website for health writes, when a person catches diphtheria, the bacteria releases a toxin or poison into the person's body. The toxin infects the upper airways and sometimes the skin, causing a membrane to grow across the windpipe. This makes it hard to breathe, and if the membrane completely blocks the windpipe, it can lead to suffocation and death. Oh, my God. So nasty stuff. Awful. You also get a horrific fever. It affects your nose, your throat, your tonsils. That's why he's thinking it could be tonsillitis. Mm. And it can permanently damage your heart, nerves, and kidneys, even if you do survive. Wow. And to make things worse, like I said, it's very contagious. And without the antitoxin, estimated mortality rates in Nome were estimated to be anywhere from 75 to 99.99%. Wow. Just, it could just wipe out the whole high. town. That's what they're thinking. Four. Anyone who gets it. Three quarters of them to everyone could die. And he and it's super contagious, but he's been hanging out with a few people who've got it and he's is he in any danger? Or is it it does sound like it's kids are more likely yes, to get it? Yes, it's especially deadly for children. I think the mortality rate is extremely high for children. Is this one that we've been vaccinated against? Yes, absolutely. So these these are the days before anyone had been vaccinated mm. against it, but but it's now, one of the nowadays, early ones, isn't yes, it? Yeah. Nowadays, it's very uncommon, especially in the developed world, but even in the third world, it's not a real problem anymore. Yeah. I say that. Still probably hundreds of thousands of people get it, but Glo- yeah. globally- When you look at the, the whole big picture- It's a very small percentage of what it used to be because of inoculation. Yeah. But back then, that didn't happen. People aren't inoculated. They don't have the immunity to it. And the townsfolk had history to worry them. The Spanish flu pandemic had hit the area only a few years earlier in 1918, causing fatalities in about 50% of the native population of Nome. Shit. And 8% of the native population of Alaska overall. So it killed lots of people more than- Only five years before. Yeah. More than 1,000 people died in northwestern Alaska and approximately 2,000 across the state. So this is, yeah- about six years earlier. Jeez. But to wipe out 50% of the native people and then five years later you've got another thing Oh man! that is, is really contagious for everybody. That's wild. How scary. It would be like, and I mean, knock on wood here, but it would be like <laughs> very soon there being some other kind of, you know, pandemic. Yeah, the double whammy. Yeah, and it's we're like, through again. fucking hell. Yeah. Like, you know what? I kind of, I wouldn't mind a little bit more lockdown. I hope that people aren't listening to this in two years' time God, and we're how locked down naive again. Was she? I know. Saying, I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying this. No, fuck you. So they're thinking. <laughs> you stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 you're putting words in their mouth now. <laughs> so there's a bit of a precedent here. We should be expecting something to come. Is this something that would normally happen? That you get- Is that what you're predicting, Dave? That there's going to be another <laughs> no, worldwide pandemic? One does not cause the other. No. This is just back then they had more things to worry about because they weren't inoculated against yeah. nearly anything. Until the late 19th century, diphtheria was a gruesome killer with no known cause and many ineffective treatments. People tried, but often if the diphtheria didn't kill you, the treatment would. What? Oh, the treatment was an axe. <laughs> <laughs> Chop it out. (laughs) Chop it out. It's in the windpipe. Chop it out. In 1890, it was reported that in Germany, the blood of immune rats and mice could be a cure, which seemed like a step in the right direction. But then the article from the time that I read went on to report that two human patients transfused with the animal's blood almost immediately dropped dead. Yeah. They're like, diphtheria did not kill these people. Yeah, that's right. If the blood cured the diphtheria- and just killed him in a different way. I think that's a success. Yeah. Is the diphtheria alive? No. No. 
Next patient. Send him in. <laughs> Here we go. But they were onto something because German Dr. Emil von Behring worked out that if you inject diphtheria into a horse, it develops immunity, and then you are able to derive antitoxins, now known to contain antibodies, from the horse's blood. Bearing- and then you put them into a rat. <laughs> Once you take the blood out of the rat, you put it in a dog. Uh-huh. It is wild to think that for a lot of history, medicine was just trial and error. What if I just put the blood I'm into a horse? I'm sure it still is yeah, I think <laughs> in it's- so many ways. Yes, but now, you know. With- a, bit, a little bit safer testing. Yes, but like forever it's just like, hey, what about we put your blood into that horse <laughs> and then put that horse's blood back into you? Let's find out yeah. what happens. Now they don't do any errors. It's trial and <laughs> success. <laughs> well, now it's clinical trial and error. <laughs> Yeah, a bit more paperwork involved. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a nightmare. Take me back. <laughs> oh, back then. I just, just want to put stuff in a horse. Just put some horse's blood in me, <laughs> would you? too much. Mr. Hands? <laughs> no, Dr. Hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Bering, oh. sorry, Bering, won the original Hands. Won the first Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1901 for the development of serum therapies against diphtheria. Wow. On May 15, 1914, a short article reported that the French newspaper Le Matin had declared the serum one of the seven wonders of the modern world. That's the paper that sponsored the uh, Peking to Paris race. Wow. Really? Yeah. You remember so There you well. go. What do you think were the other six wonders of the, the, of the modern world in 1914, according to the newspaper? Oh, the MCG. Yeah. Okay. Telephone. Tele- around? Yeah. Okay. Uh- the telephone at the MCG. Yeah. It's a beauty. <laughs> what about uh, the locomotive? Oh, yeah. The Kyle Minogue song. Yeah. Lo- Do the, the locomotive. locomotive. Which was a cover, but still. Everybody's I think she made it her own. Yeah, great track. Uh, the other six were the aeroplane, the wireless, radium, uh-huh. <laughs> the locomotive, Human grafting and the dynamo. Oh, that was my name back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. When Matt was doing porn, that's what he was yeah, known yeah. as. He was known as the, Send se- in the dynamo. The seventh wonder of the modern world. <laughs> Send in the dynamo. This just isn't cutting it. This scene Fetch me where- the dynamo. <laughs> oh, imagine you're in a you're in a sex scene and you get the tap on the shoulder. Yeah. The dynamo will take it from you. <gasps> you're in a sex scene. In a porno? <laughs> All right, we're ready to shoot the sex scene. <laughs> We've got all the story out of the way. <laughs> yeah, no, well, well, I'm just an actor. I do the setup. <laughs> whoa, the whoa, hang on. I genuinely am a pool boy, okay? I'm <laughs> this just in the background. Is, this porno is rated R for sex scenes. <laughs> Should Do you think it's appropriate to show the kids? <laughs> Don't need nudity. As long as there's no <laughs> blood or gore, I'm fine. Adult themes. <laughs> So, like I said, these days diphtheria is very uncommon in the developed world and less and less common all over because of immunization. But back in Nome, Dr. Welsh was looking at his antitoxin and there's not enough. There's only enough for a few people and it's all expired uh, by five years. Okay, okay. okay. And he, he was too scared to use it. Oh, right, because you don't know what it does. Maybe it's even more Well, he's thinking, oh, it's potent, like, yes. what if- 
what if I kill them because of this and they would have lived? No? Yeah, right. And so is it like um, it, do you administer it to a sick person, to an already sick person, or do you give it to a healthy person so they don't get sick? You can do both. Okay, great. You can do both. That yeah. is convenient. To people who are at risk of getting it, so like a family member who's living in the household, or you can give it to the person who is ill, mm-hmm. hoping that you know it'll, it'll act fast enough. Yep. But he's worried. Like, I can't. Immunize people against it because <laughs> yeah. there's a chance they get diphtheria, but there's also a chance that this thing kills them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's too scared to act at the moment. He's gonna he's he's got a wait and see policy. Yeah, sort of like when something is past its best before date, and you're like, yeah, he's he's given it a sniff. Yeah, he's got the sniff test. It? Five years, I'd be chucking it. Yeah, a couple of days, I'm like, that's ah, fine. Five year old horse's blood. Yeah, I don't. Five years that. is that any product? Like, or we're we just talking dairy. <laughs> Probably any product. Yeah. It's definitely dairy. Yeah. Five years. Yeah, no, I'm what not What about a that. canned product? Would you eat that five years plus? Uh, maybe. Are we in an apocalyptic type scenario? Yeah. Or I'd is be, it just- I'd be Because I sus. could pop down the shops, get another can. Yeah, that's I'd probably okay. do that. Because when clearing out my grandpa's house, there was a mini can of baked beans right at the back from 2001. Oh, oh. good vintage. <laughs> I was so tempted, but then I decided to not try yeah, it. Yeah, it's probably a good call. It's probably- And it I regret that, actually. Mm. My biggest regret. My only regret. Wow. Your only again. regret. I did it my way, baby. <laughs> okay. Too few to mention. <laughs> All right, I'll mention it. It was a can of beans. <laughs> <laughs> so, on January 22nd, the town was put into lockdown. Been there. The kind of thing that a few years ago I would have had to explain. <laughs> Businesses and schools were closed, transport ceased, and people were told to stay home in a bid to stop the spread. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait, was Dan Andrews in charge <laughs> yeah. over there? Victorian <laughs> Premier? Yeah, they still did school on Zoom, yeah? <laughs> the mayor of the town, the Dan Andrews of the town, if you will. Ah, uh, yes. George Maynard also owned the local newspaper called The Gnome Nugget. Oh, I love it. Love that. Love it. Remember they had gold in the area earlier? They were very proud of that. The Gnome, gnome Nugget. Nugget. The Gnome Nugget. I love alliteration mm. and nugget. It's just fun. Yeah. Nugget's always fun. Nugget's always fun. I think the Denver Nuggets is one of the great sporting team names. Yeah, agreed. I love that too. Yeah. I think the chicken nugget is one of the great snacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. The mm. gold nugget, one of the best rocks to find in a hole. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> one of Absolutely, top yeah. Yeah, I think you could very comfortably say that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> To find in a hole. <laughs> Did you dig the hole? Was it just a hole? A hole there. No, put that there. Well, well, let's have a little rummage around and see what we find. That's how easy it used to be. You'd walk on a beach and go, oh, gold. Nugget. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. So the outbreak, as you'd expect, was front page news and it told people to stay home. But more and more people started to arrive at the one local hospital with symptoms. Some of them were legit. Others were caused by panic. You know how it is. You have any sort of cough or sore throat, you're like, I'm dying. I'm, I'm, I've got That's it. it. Got it. It's my turn. It's my time. This is Don't my time. mourn me. It was my time. <laughs> <laughs> I lived a good life. <laughs> I did it my way. <laughs> On the third day of the lockdown, six patients had reported to the hospital with actual signs of diphtheria. Dr. Welsh sent out an urgent telegram to the health authorities in Washington, D.C., begging for their help with more serum to treat the sick to hold off an epidemic. Yeah, some planes exist. You already to- told us about 
locomotives. It's, there's still stuff around. I mean, there's no railway to get in there, but you, you got to build, build the, one. You can build a track. Build a track. Meter Easy. by meter. Do it like one of those old movies where they're just putting it out in front. <laughs> Wallace and Gromit? Yeah, Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I was thinking of? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> One of those old movies. You know, before they had actors, they just used a, they had a bit of clay and shit. <laughs> so, but yeah, but the planes, there were planes were. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get to the planes. Send them in. Send in the planes. Send in the clowns. Not an option. Flying planes. Tell medicine. <laughs> so, Telegram, that's really the only way to communicate fast. With Washington, D.C., he's like, we. Desperately need serum. And meanwhile, fearing he had no other option, he began to administer the five-year-old expired diphtheria antitoxin. Uh-oh. He just had to- they got a bunch of hulks now. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a Marvel oh, origin yeah. story? They're, they're strong and they're dying. <laughs> yeah, great. Great. Now we got 500 Captain Americas here. Oh, they're too big for the hospital bed. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He just had to hope for the best. And a couple of days went by and good news came in. More antitoxin had been discovered. It was only enough for a few more people, but it could possibly buy enough time until a larger shipment arrived. The only problem was that the serum was in the Alaskan city of Anchorage, more than 1,000 miles away. Whoa! And in between the two cities lay tundra, ice, and snow, and no roads or train tracks. Oh. And that's like way more kilometers, isn't it? It's 1.6. 1600K, baby. Oof. So... Yeah, but I mean, to an Alaskan, that's not very far. It just happens to be a brutal at that time of year. It's a brutal. Yes, to get the worst two. possible time of year. To, that's for this pretty type far. It's, I think it's pretty far. But I bet an Alaskan be like, oh yeah, I'd jog that because it's so huge. Yeah, and they yeah. just they just like every town's remote in Alaska. I mean, I'm saying that like I have any idea. That seems right. What's sixteen hundred k's away from here? Oh, good question. Great question. Like. I mean, it, Sydney's not even that. Yes, you're, you're so past it's Sydney. beyond Sydney. Are we going as the crow flies? Uh, I'm going as a car drives. If a crow's driving, as the crow drives. We're going Brisbane. <laughs> Pretty erratically. <laughs> Let's go Brisbane from the studio where we are right now. That's 1759. Very close. So pretty yeah. close. And that's a 17-hour, 47-minute drive in a car on highways. Yes, but with... Dog power, probably you'd cut that down. Yeah, With easy. The sled and dog power. Yeah, you'd cut that in half. Yeah, he's got at least. fifty thousand dogs. Yeah, if Kevin Bacon's leading one of those dogs, then yeah, it's a long way. It is a while. All right, it's a fairly long. No, way. no, I, I totally hear what you're saying. It'd be the same in like Western Australia of like, oh yeah, but it, that's a when you're in a rush. That's when you're a- in a rush and it's like, oh, we don't travel at this time of year. No, yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. You do not travel this time. It's the of worst year. possible but time. Six months later, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll pop over. Yeah. Easy, I'll pop over Anchorage. Back in a couple of days. Yeah. But the question is, how will they get the serum there in time to stop a full-blown pandemic The or epidemic? The clock is ticking. At first, planes were proposed by Matt Stewart and also these people. <laughs> they were in their pretty early stages in 1925, and only a few very brave pilots were up to the task of flying in an Alaskan winter. The planes were mostly made out of wood, canvas, and fabric, and offered the pilot and the engine very little, if no, protection from the elements. Jeez. So it's, a bit, it's risky. Yeah. The yeah, engine will freeze or you'll freeze. We've done a few episodes the last six or 12 months about flying around those times, and it was just a wild time. But all the pilots who did it, they were all nuts. Oh, you yeah. Know, they were all just up for death-defying journeys and stuff. I was standing on a 
two meter ladder yesterday and it was too high for me. <laughs> I did not know how these people did this. <laughs> I had a, a power sander in one hand. I'm going to the group. Oh! <laughs> My wife's like, oh, that sander's making a lot of noise. I'm like, I haven't even turned it on yet. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Got the job done. <laughs> Only uh, found a couple of nuggets in my pants later on, but apart from that, <laughs> the only bad kind of nugget. Turkish delight? No. <laughs> nugget of Turkish. Mm. A small fleet of planes could be found at Fairbanks, which was about 500 miles away, known as the Fairbanks Airplane Corporation, owned by a group of local businessmen, including William Fentress Thompson, who was the editor of the Fairbanks Daily News Minor newspaper. They don't make names like they used to. No. The paper or the guy? The Both. guy. William the guy. Fentress Thompson. The middle name. Editor, Fentress. I know. Editor of the Fairbanks Daily News Minor newspaper. Described as a dynamic and overconfident man. Ah, the dynamo. He was a worthy adversary. <laughs> I don't think overconfident is a compliment. Absolutely ever, not. Is it? No, because you it says you're more confident than you should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on your abilities. It says that you go into things very confidently, but you fuck them up. Mm. So I don't know if I want this guy on, on, on the team. Yeah, you want to ideally be the right level of confidence. Yeah. Underconfident you doesn't want help. Quietly confident. Oh yeah, quietly. That's confident. That's what you want. A steely resolve. Yeah. yeah. Steely eyed missile man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you will. Was he available? He wasn't. Was he born yet? <laughs> John Aaron was not born yet. Oh, come on. Come on uh, we need you. Jeez. But instead they had William Fentress Thompson, the overconfident dynamo. He was a tireless promoter of the Fairbanks Aeroplane Corporation. Remember, he's a co-owner. And when he caught wind of what was happening in Nome, he proposed that one of his planes could fly the serum to Nome in just two days. The problem was no pilot had ever flown that route in the dead of winter. It was a very dangerous prospect. And I'm guessing he's not the one flying. He's nah. just the yes. one. <laughs> he's like, one of my planes can do that. And the pilot's like, fucking what? What? Sorry, sorry what, William? <laughs> sorry, one of your planes. Uh, not one of your pilots, mate. <laughs> but the overconfident William Fentress Thompson reckoned his plane was good enough. So he lobbied the Alaskan governor, Scott Cordell Bone. Oh, my what? God. Governor Bone? Governor, Governor Bone. Bone. Give the Governor, Governor Bone's office. Bone. Oh, Bone by name, Bone stuff. by nature. What does that mean, Dave? <laughs> he likes to get out, out amongst nature. <laughs> Have sex outside. It's <laughs> a uh, real performer. That God. time of year in Alaska. Oh, well, risky business. You've gotten pervier and pervier. As and the you years started out on. pervy. <laughs> you talking to me? Yeah, mate. Oh, come on. <laughs> Or maybe you've just gotten a little too comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You've become overconfident. <laughs> In your perviness. Where were you where were you gonna take Governor Bone? I'm interested to know. I wasn't gonna take Governor Bone anywhere. I think if you'll rewind the tape, I was his receptionist answering the phone, saying Governor Bone's office, and I thought that was a bit of fun. I was not thinking he's fucking outside. Okay? Look, I see a maths equation and I work it out. Uh, I put uh, two and two together and I get bone. <laughs> I was thinking bone as a dog thing, you know, so like the dogs would go and fetch him and, and also the serum. Or he but, is a dog. Yeah, I had a whole cartoon in my head. Yeah, you just went straight to porn. Well, this is an R-rated <laughs> story. We already, we've already established that. All right, he's gone to Governor Bone. And he's like, Bone, give me permission to use one of my planes to make the delivery. My plane can do it. My guy can do it. My guy, I got a guy. The editor, William Fentress Thompson, used his newspaper to publish articles about planes being the best option. Jesus Christ. He's a real self-promoter. That's, like uh, that's good journalism. Because this could be great. Yeah, <laughs> this could be a, a real win for him. But much Really unbiased. A real boon for bone. 
<laughs> Come on, that writes itself. You should be a sub editor. Thank you. Wait, that wasn't a compliment, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Thompson's pushing for the planes, but much to his annoyance, Governor Bone thought aeroplanes were too unreliable. He inst- just a passing fad. Yeah. They'll never take off. Yeah. Well, ideally, they will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your problem is your planes don't take off, okay? You've been on the ground for days. He instead opted a more old-fashioned route using sleds pulled by dogs. Yes. Hey, why not both? Race them. Race them. Put, yeah. put a bit half in each and, um, you know, just race them. Maybe tie a string between the two so if, or a rope even. String probably won't work. Oh, So, so like- whichever one fails, the other one gets dragged along. So the plane's either being dragged along by the <laughs> Kevin Bacon and his crew uh-huh. or the plane just drags his dead dogs along. <laughs> either way. But, and I, I, I think I like what you're saying because if the plane starts going down, you just cut the rope. Yeah. You let the plane go. Yeah, yeah. But true. if the plane succeeds, the dogs have been pulled Santa's sleigh stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully still alive. Yeah. Sure, why not? wrong with you? <laughs> the plane's dragging dead dogs. Oh. Oh. I, again, picturing a cartoon. Not, don't yeah, You yeah. don't want to be picturing that as your dogs, you know? <laughs> I think sometimes when I make these dog-related jokes, listeners are picturing their own dogs. Don't do that. Picture just a- oh, Cartoon dogs. Humphrey's not lasting 40 seconds in the Alaskan wilderness. <laughs> I mean- I actually think because sometimes Goose is like pulling so hard and with such intensity <laughs> that he is like his back legs are completely straight behind him. He's like he it's like he's flying. He looks like he <laughs> sounds like a little frog. Yeah, he's, he's a nugget as well. He's a real nugget. He's insane. I sometimes think he'd be pretty great as a sleigh dog. He's a ball of muscle. Yeah, he'd be great, and he just wants to run. Um, but the the cold would kill him instantly. Um, <laughs> Frenchies are very susceptible. Right. They can't handle hot or cold. Okay. It's got to be just right. So, yeah, he'd be dead. But <laughs> fuck, he'd have fun for those last few seconds of his life. And he'd get a great aeroplane ride. Yeah. <laughs> Been dragged along. You know the um like the 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 skiers, the do the they do a big jump. Skis and they're like they they make themselves into like a little oh, pencil. Yeah, Eddie of the Eagle. Yeah, type. that sort of style. That's what he looks like sometimes. <laughs> Is he fully airborne? <laughs> Pretty much. No, he's not airborne. He's just like dragging along the ground. He's landborne. He's landborne. Anyway, so I think he'd be pretty good actually for a French bulldog. If any, um, just needs a little coat. He just needs a little coat on. Some booties, maybe. Booties, mittens. But he can't get too. He can't get too hot. So the coat has to be air conditioned. <laughs> That's my boy. The perfect temperature. <laughs> He can't move because we put so many gadgets on him. They're like, and go. But we also fit him with like, you know, wheels and stuff yeah, and a yeah. motor. And so- we put a little GoPro on the front so <laughs> yeah. we can see. So it ends up just basically being a go-kart. <laughs> He's a remote control dog. <laughs> yeah. It's actually sick. It's actually really sick. We can make him do all sorts of spins and moves. Look, you- we'll make him flip. <laughs> Good boy. And his eye, like he can't move, but his eyes are just looking <laughs> yeah. shit scared. His tongue is frozen, um, but he's having a good time. And keeping all this in mind, the, the governor's heard all this and gone, dogs are the way. Get him yeah. in. Let's go with the dogs. I mean, the sled dogs are amazing. Because he thought that was a much more reliable option. After all, this mode of transport was proven in the area. That's how they delivered mail in winter. Mm-hmm. Right. So they got mail to know, but it was much slower. 
if they did just put the serum in with a regular mail route, it would take 30 days. It's usually the sleds usually travel about 30 miles in one day, pull up at a roadhouse, stay overnight, and then keep traveling during the day. But they didn't have 30 days. By that time, many more people would be sick and dying. Right. So, they need to go quick. What are we talking? Huskies? That's one of the dogs. Oh, they just had one of each kind of dog. Just to see how it goes. One of the- <laughs> like, Dalmatian. Right, day one, Pomeranian did not do so well. <laughs> Put a line through the Pomeranian. Very cute. Now yeah. get the chihuahuas ready. <laughs> mush. <laughs> All right, okay. Why do they say mush? Didn't look into that. I just, uh, I think it, I think I've looked into it at some point. It's just a word that means go or something like that. Right. I like it. Yeah, it's much. Mush. Mush. Mushing comes from the French word mushere, which means to walk. Oh, that's cute. Spelt marcher. Ah. Huh. There you go. French prospectors and voyagers who explored and hunted across North America in the mid to late 1800s probably introduced the term. I like it. Contrary mm. to popular belief, the word mush is not really used as a command for the dogs as the sound is too soft. This is nh.gov. Is that another one of these Disney lies? Do they say that in that movie you watched? Probably. That's w- That would have been where I got it from. Yeah, Disney, they famously fact check things. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Mary There's Poppins. nothing in the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> so, Governor Bone decided to send the serum as far north as possible via train. Then it would travel west the rest of the way via a relay of dog teams traveling both day and night mm. over the perilous 700-mile journey. Day and night. Day and night. Because usually they only travel during the day Yeah, because it gets very cold and it's very dark at night, obviously, yep. out There's there. There's got to be a better way to get ice back to Springfield. <laughs> Do you know I another lost, way? <laughs> lost three men on this expedition. <laughs> the get serum- that reference. Nah. I'm cool. <laughs> Simpsons, the Bobo episode, good stuff. The serum was stored in little glass bottles and then wrapped in a quilt for protection from breakage, but also to stop them from becoming frozen. If they froze, they could be rendered unusable. Oh, my God. So, another thing to think about, you got to uh, make sure they don't break, also don't freeze out so there. So, you've got an electric blanket to keep the serums warm, but <laughs> no. you're not allowed to have a little snuggle in there. Keep yourself warm. It's ridiculous. Now you got to snuggle the dogs, and they smell bad. <laughs> So they packed them up and left Anchorage on a train that headed north to a tiny village called Nanana, the last stop on the Alaskan Railway. Dog sleds would handle the rest of the trip, which would follow the Tanana and Yukon rivers until they reached the coast and the frozen Norton Sound, which they would follow the Iterod Trail until they got into Nome. Like I said, all up 700 miles through some of the harshest terrain and weather on planet Earth. And you're never going to believe this. Due to a high-pressure system blowing in from the Arctic, the area they were travelling through happened to be experiencing record low temperatures. Perfect. Perfect. Wonderful. Just what we want to hear. It's the coldest it's ever been. Oh, my God. The stage is set. Let's go for in it. Day already and night. In a very cold place. Exactly. Great. But these sled dog drivers, or mushers, were experienced. Sled dogs have been used in the Arctic for at least 8,000 years, and along with boats were the only transportation in Arctic areas until the introduction of semi-trailer trucks, snowmobiles, and, and aeroplanes. Oh. And snow razor scooters. Snow razor scooters. Whoa. In the 20th century. That's sick. Do a flip. <laughs> <laughs> Land on the snow, you'll be fine. So, dog sleds were relied upon to haul supplies in areas that were inaccessible by other methods. Proven track record. Use them forever. 
And in some parts of the world, dog sleds are still commonly used for transportation. For example, the Sirius Dog Sled Patrol is an elite Danish naval unit that's used in Greenland. A musher and their dogs head out for months at a time to patrol the massive country. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, Greenland's massive. Apparently, it takes them a year or two to patrol the whole whole way around the coast, and then they start again. Oh, uh, if you were casing that joint, you know, as someone who wanted a heist <laughs> yeah. Greenland, you'd be like, all right, we've only got the next 11 and a half months okay. before they come back around. <laughs> so, we got to move quick. we got to yeah. move quick. Oh, my God. We want to no steal the No time to dilly or dally. <laughs> if you get busted by them, you are really unlucky. <laughs> yeah. You're importing pirated DVDs. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, God what are the chances? First up on the relay of the dog sled from Nanana was William Shannon, a part-time male driver who was known for his love of drinking and was nicknamed Wild Bill. He was waiting at the station with nine dogs, and as soon as he received his special 20-pound or nine-kilo cargo, they were off and disappeared into the pitch black night. Do you think the old nightclub at Southland, Wild Bill's, was named after him? I think so. A tribute. Hmm. Is there a photo of him on the wall? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that makes nah, sense. No, that makes sense. <laughs> it's nice when you put those things together. Yeah. Like you can connect the dots there. Wild Bill. No relations. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in Nome, a Norwegian-born musher called Leonard Seppeler set out and headed east. His plan was to travel 300 miles meet the mushers coming west and then turn around and take the serum back to Nome as he was deemed the only one who could tackle the last and most challenging part of the journey. Whoa. So he's some sort of sled badass. He's a badass. He's the only one that can do it. This I mean, one- the dogs surely were playing their part. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 just him. <laughs> he's like, I don't need a dog. <laughs> I'm walking. Strap me up. <laughs> Strap me up. He pulls the sled <laughs> It's only nine kilos. You don't need the sled. Use your pockets. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I've been training my whole life for this. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He's become one of the dogs. Yeah, he has to get into the mind of like, a dog. One of those absolute wild people that p- pull an aeroplane or something. Yeah. They strap the harness on. He's just pulling. <laughs> pulling a plane through the snow. <laughs> I thought this wasn't a challenge enough. I thought I'd set a world record whilst I was here. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this would have been pretty daunting for even the most experienced of mushers, but Seppala was a racing champion referred to as King of the Trail. Ooh, that's nice. While most drivers considered 30 miles or 48K a long run, Seppala travelled between 50 miles and 100 miles, which is up to 160 kilometres most days, working his dogs for 12 hours at a time. Oh, poor dogs. He kept his dogs fit by training them even in summer when the ice thawed, getting them to pull a cart on wheels. Yeah, great. They're like, oh, cool, snow's over. This is our, this <laughs> this is our, our holiday season. Time. Yeah. Wait, what? Bit of, bit of dog time. He's like, strap him to the cart. And the dog's like, you know what? I'm heading to the beach. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find some gold. That's a day off for me. i got to look after my mental health. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, those dogs pulled the short straw, didn't they? Getting teamed up with this psychopath. Yeah, like, oh, my God. No, not this guy. Not again. Because he was competitive, loved the challenge, and loved the spotlight. He used smaller Siberian huskies. That was his uh, dog of choice. I love, yeah, I love that idea that people are like, I've got a competitive advantage here. He's a smaller dog. Smaller dog. Apparently thought that they were more reliable, stronger, could go further. 
and he set out with that his- worked out really well in the Peking to Paris race. There was one racer, remember, who thought smaller, lighter cars was the way to go, and he did. You know. Do they technically have a tricycle? <laughs> it was basically a tricycle. <laughs> it is a fourth wheel. That's something that slow me down. <laughs> so he set off with the best team he could. He could muster. Now must he could muster. <laughs> Sean Connery's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> mush, mush, <laughs> onwards, onwards, <laughs> into the Alaskan wilderness. <laughs> it's so funny because it does sound great. It's such a great word, but it's so funny that it basically means walk. Yeah, walk. walk. <laughs> and then they're not even saying it. <laughs> walk, walk. I'm walking here. I'm mushing here. That's what he's saying. Mushers and their team of dogs have an incredibly close relationship. The dogs are bred and trained to run as a cohesive unit and together can pull an incredible amount. Mm. According to PBS, along with their power comes a huge responsibility. (laughs) Also, appetite. Of course. Thanks, Uncle Doug, or whatever his name was. from What was the Spider-Man Doug guy now? It's not Doug. Ben. (laughs) Uncle Ben. I was going to say Uncle Jerry. (laughs) Thanks, Uncle Jerry. Uncle Leo. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Leo. While a normal mutt, this is from PBS, a normal mutt might get by on 1,500 calories a day, sled dogs can easily consume up to 10,000 calories per day. Wait, wait, can you say that again? So a normal dog eats 1,500 calories per day. A sled dog can easily consume 10,000 calories per day. Whoa. I don't think the rock eats that much. (laughs) Really? Well, he'd be up there. He eats a lot. What do you reckon a dog eats on cheat day? <laughs> How many pancakes? Yeah. How many calories does The Rock eat? <laughs> he eats, this is in an interview uh, from 2022, between six and 8,000 a day. Wow, the dogs out eat The Rock. Yeah. Suck shit The Rock. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, if The Rock hears that, I just get the feeling that he's that kind of guy. I'd be like, I'm, I'm not going to get beaten a by dog. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. But, I mean, yeah, the energy that they're putting out is yeah, insane and they're running for 12 hours straight. Yeah, Like amazing. a human would need to eat that much if we're running 12 hours straight. It's insane. 10,000 a That's day. That's wild. My dog gets two little scoops. <laughs> of? Of food. Oh, okay. <laughs> a day. <laughs> two little scoops. I like that measurement for food. Scoops? Scoops. Yeah. This How hungry are you? How many scoops of yeah. pasta do you want tonight? <laughs> oh, two and a half scoops. All right. All right. Okay. Oh, big boy. With a big spoon. <laughs> well, two and a half before it's boiled or after because that that's a very different amount. That is a very, different, very amount. different amount. Falling for that trap yeah. nearly every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Did it last night. I'm trying not really? to anymore. This but does not look like much pasta. <laughs> yeah. I'll chuck a little more in. Yeah, every time. How oh, much rice no. could a kilo be? I've got to feed my whole family. <laughs> <laughs> Including the dogs. <laughs> And I got, I got Siberian huskies. Yeah. <laughs> they might seem smaller, but they have a big appetite. Huge. So that means you've also got to be carrying a whole ton of food as well. Yeah, that must must be what most of the sled is. Yeah. The they supplies. eat the sled at the end of the Yeah, yeah it's made of uh, kippers and chocolate. Yeah, wow. So Cans of pal. <laughs> Frozen solid. As his lead dog, Seppola chose his most trusted pup. A 12-year-old dog called Togo. 12? 12-year-old. That's very old to be a lead dog. That's an old dog. Yeah. It's an old dog off the the course. It's an old dog of like an apartment dweller, you know, it's just lived on a couch its whole life having a a great time. They say doggy is about seven, so he's chosen his lead uh, man, an (laughs) (laughs) 84-year-old. 
Come on, boys. <laughs> we can do this. We've got some running to do. <laughs> Mush. Uh, so apparently the Siberian Huskies' life expectancy is 12 to 14 years. Yeah. Right. So he could run for another two years. <laughs> 12 old for a dog. I mean, these it's are old. like these are mega fit dogs. But honestly, it's super old. A lot of people are like, that is too old for your lead dog. Wow. But he knew Togo was special, despite his first impressions of the dog. Early on, as a result of his relatively small size, illness, and bad behavior as a young pup, Leonard Seppala decided that Togo was not even sled dog material (laughs) and gave him away to be a house pet when he was six months old. Togo spent a few weeks at his new home before he jumped through the glass of a shut window and ran several miles back to Leonard's kennel. Oh, Broke impre- the glass ceiling for dogs. Yes, he did it. <laughs> he did it. Impressed, Seppala decided to keep him and he eventually became the lead dog. He's like, this dog's got moxie. Yeah. All right, I'll put him on the track. He just took it back from a family. <laughs> the but family's like, we love that, that dog. It was our dog. He broke a window, but it's kind of, you know, you take risks when you get a new pet. Yeah, you know they're going to destroy destroy a few things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This does sound like a a million different sports movies where it's like, Mm. you know, it's it's an underdog story. Yes, it's literally a dog. Yeah, I don't know if it's literally an underdog, but it's literally a dog. (laughs) That's amazing. Have you guys heard of Togo the dog? I've heard the name of Togo, but but maybe I'm thinking of Tojo, the Japanese uh, general, whatever. (laughs) I get those two confused. (laughs) He was a dog. (laughs) Better look him up make sure he's not a good guy. Together with their team of dogs behind them, Seppala and Togo set off for their 600-mile or 1,000-plus kilometre round journey on January 28. Seppala's section of trail featured a dangerous shortcut across the frozen Norton Sound, which is an inlet of the Bering Sea. The shortcut could save a full day of travel, but was seen as incredibly dangerous because the ice on Norton Sound was in constant motion, due to currents from the sea and the incessant wind. Small cracks in the ice could suddenly widen and then both driver and dog could be plunged into the freezing water. Oh, my God. There was also a real risk that a sustained east wind could push the ice out to sea and a team caught on a drifting flow could find itself stranded out in open ocean water. Imagine that. It breaks and you just start to float out. No way of getting back. That feels like a Disney cartoon movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden floating out on an iceberg. Which would be terrible, obviously, for Seppala and the dogs, but on the way back would also mean the life-saving medicine would be lost forever. Yeah. So it was super risky, but they decided that time was of the essence and took the shortcut on the way to meet the relay team with the medicine. The conditions were horrific. If the wind blew from the east, it could reach speeds as high as 110 miles per hour, which could easily flip over the sled. Whoa. Pushing dogs off course, and it caused a wind chill as low as, and this is unfathomably cold, minus 116.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 82.5 below Celsius. No. I'd be like, give me diphtheria. I'm out. I don't think I'd even have the option. I think I would just die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be trying to get out the words. Um, can I just, oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> just lie down and die. Oh, I'd be lying down to die. That's horrendous. You really hope some sort of survival instincts kick in for us, but. I don't think so. I'm not built for that. 
You and Goose. Oh, yeah, similar. Yeah. Who's lasting longer, you or Goose? Well, me by a few seconds, <laughs> just because I'm much bigger than him. And you wouldn't want him to die alone. Well. <laughs> Don't worry, dog. I'm dying too, if that gives you some comfort. <laughs> Good boy. I've looked up Tojo. He was Prime Minister of Japan during World War II and was tried and executed for war crimes. So he was a dog. Okay, great. I stand by it. Phew. Worth checking. (laughs) Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. (laughs) Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back in Nome itself, things were getting worse. There were five new suspected cases in two days, and Dr. Welsh tried the expired serum on more patients. Thankfully, they seemed to improve, but he was quickly running out. Because remember, he only had limited supply. He started giving it out, and now that vial is running low. Has he tried this trick? It's a classic. Parents are away. You've drunk some of their scotch. <laughs> you fill it up with tea. Ah, <laughs> fantastic. You tell people you're injecting them yeah. with medicine. You just placebo. Sort of, it's slightly diluted with yeah. cold tea. Local town mayor, George Maynard, who was also the editor of the local newspaper, remember, wrote a cry for help in the form of a press release to the Associated Press. He wrote, there is only one physician here and new cases are appearing daily. The story was picked up by dozens of newspapers and the tale of the isolated Alaska town and the dog mushers racing against the clock to save their lives was an instant media sensation. Several alarmist articles were written with headlines like, dog teams race to fight deaths in known plague. And less catchy ones like, every dog has his day, a gnome epidemic has given him opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. Send me in. I'm sub-editing this paper. (laughs) That's good stuff. Wait, what? That's got real first draft energy. (laughs) 
and the nation was absolutely gripped. And because it was impossible to get any local photos out of the frozen north, remember there's no way in or out, some newspaper editors resorted to making their own sensationalised photos to accompany the articles. <laughs> they just take a photo of someone in the snow or some dogs and say, here they are. Wow. Cheer them on. Love that. Cool. Again, some great journalism. Every dog has his day. Very ethical. Has given him opportunity. <laughs> that sounds like it was translated into yeah. Russian and back again <laughs> yeah. or something. As Seppala and Togo bravely headed east, Wild Bill kicked off the relay west through the Yukon Kuyukok area, which is one of the two coldest points in all of the interior and is colder than the Arctic itself. No, thank you. At the start of the relay, the temperature dropped to 54 below Fahrenheit, which is negative 47 degrees Celsius. Whoa. You should see Jess's face right now. She's disgusted by that temperature. I am disgusted. Positive 47 is so hot. Yeah, the negative The equivalent 40 of cold. Oof. That'd be so cold. <laughs> That's the only way we can think about it. I remember being in Amsterdam. Have I told you this before? Being in Amsterdam talking about how it can get quite cold in Melbourne and, and saying it can get it gets under 10. And the bartender just went, I'm so sorry, but fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> She wasn't she wasn't Dutch. I forgot where she was from, but she was like, it gets too it gets so cold that like snot freezes in your nose. Oh. Fuck. This is like that, but way worse. It's so I can't, so bad. I can't even I can't even imagine. We truly can't. We we just we don't get that cold where we live. We don't get anywhere near that. There's it gets a- to under ten degrees and we're like, bloody hell, staying inside today. Someone in our in our Patreon Facebook group lives right in a cold place and they've been posting photos. At uh, the front, it's just like full covered with snow. Out, like a, a winter out wonderland. I'm like, hey, look, I I love the idea of it, but just when you're able to go inside and have a yeah. cup of tea by the fire, visiting it loved. for the novelty, yeah, not I'm, not living with it. I think it's very different. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess when it, the the conditions that you you live in, yeah. you just sort of set yourself up better. You get used to it. You got better quality. Clothing and, yeah. Not these tattered rags we get around in. Because of the dropping temperature and bad conditions on the trail caused by ruts and marks from horse-drawn carriages, curse you, which could easily tear up the paw pads of the dogs and injure their ankles, Wild Bill diverted the team onto the smoother ice of the Tanana River, which is... Riskier. Right. Can fall through. Bill and his dogs travelled all night, but sadly not without incident. Despite jogging alongside the sled to keep warm, so he had to run the whole way, Wild Bill developed hypothermia. When he handed over the serum to the next musher, his face was black with frostbite. And his team of nine dogs had been reduced to six, dropping three off on the way due to cold and exhaustion. Sadly, two didn't make it. Dropping them off where? So there's these sort of little outposts on the way. So he Uh. drops the dogs off because they're struggling so badly. And he was like, I'll come back for you, which he did, but two of them, uh, it was too that's cold. That's how hard it's, yeah, they're working. He's jogging alongside the sled. Yeah, just just to keep warm. And still getting hypothermia. Yeah, and his face, because imagine- How do you cover your entire yeah, face? It'd be so hard. What the fuck? This that's is the same wild. the kids. Oh, I, I understand, I, but whoa. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh, it is. And he's only the first in a chain of many, many people Jeez. that have to do this. I'm guessing that Disney uh, took away some of the grimness of this in their movie portrayals. Jess, do you remember any of the grimness of this? I don't this? remember any of the dogs dying, but they might have. Do you remember a man losing his face? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> they definitely left that bit out. 
Yes, but he made it, Wild Bill. He did his part. He handed the serum to 20-year-old Edgar Callens, who, like the rest of the men in this part of the relay, were Indigenous Alaskans of the interior, mostly Alaskan Athabascans. Callens warmed the serum by the fire and then headed off at a time when the conditions were only getting worse. Oh, God. The temperature had fallen to minus 49 degrees Celsius or minus 56 Fahrenheit, causing Callens' hands to freeze to the sled's handlebar requiring the owner of the Manly Hot Springs Roadhouse to pour boiling water on the birch wood bar for thawing to get well, his gloves off. Appropriate place to stop, the hot yeah. springs. <laughs> Beautiful. I think that's good marketing. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it It would be, in some ways, that'd be ideal. You'd be like, I'd love to jog along the side, but my hands are stuck. It's my hands. Oh, so I'm going to have to stay on the sled. Yeah. <laughs> Callens passed the package on to Johnny Folger, who gave the precious cargo to Sam Joseph, who was tasked with another perilous night shift. Wow. That's the hardest bit. Any old-timey guy with the name Johnny something always sounds cool. Yeah. Johnny Folger. Johnny Folger. I just, you just picture him being a dashing gent. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get it? Oh, I get it. This guy's a gent, and let me tell you what he's up to. He's dashing. He's dashing. He's dancing. He's prancing. <laughs> he's vixen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. He's Comet, he's Cupid, <laughs> he's Donda, he's blitzing it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Absolutely killing it, this guy. Johnny Tandenbaum, or whatever his name was. Johnny Liptonstein? You didn't interrupt him quick enough and now he's just spiralling. <laughs> Johnny. Johnny. I would, I would, I would just say, Dave, do go on. Johnny. No, Johnny. no, I've said the magic words. Next up was Harry Pitka. Oh who knew exactly how awful an epidemic could be as he lost six siblings to a previous outbreak of tuberculosis. So that, that's another big inspiration for these guys. Right. So that- they're saving kids and also a lot of them, they're saving uh, fellow Indigenous people yeah, because yeah. they know it's terrible, especially for their communities. Their own families and their own yeah. community, yeah. Tuberculosis, that's the, um, that's the wasting disease, is it? The consumption. The consumption, yeah, the one that sort of kicked off the vampire Thing. Mm. The wasting. Isn't that, I think they, no, you waste away, but it's called consumption. It consumes you. <gasps> yeah. It makes you waste. Every 30 miles or so, a new brave man and his dogs would step up to take the serum. Interesting, it's all men, isn't it, Jess? As a feminist, I just think that it's a shame that women didn't step up in the time of the children's need. Mm-hmm. That's all. And as a woman, I say, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want equality, but I do not want to take the bins out. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's a boy job. This yeah, that's what is- my wife says when I've got to pick up poo or something. She goes, the feminism has left my body. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. As a feminist, I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say to her, the feminism has never left my body. <laughs> as, a, as an ally. I, just I will allow you. At Matt. <laughs> as an ally, I'll allow you to pick up that poo. Luckily, she threw it like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> You flinched like a little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they're handing it on. This is wild. The ninth man, I'm afraid this is a man, they're all men, was Bill McCarty, who was travelling with a lead dog called Prince. He had to trust Prince with his life and all the other dogs' lives when a whiteout occurred. The conditions were so awful he couldn't see his own hand in front of his face. That's so scary. Can't see anything. He had to trust that Prince could smell and sense the way and continue to follow the trail. I heard a musher say that a good lead dog can go over a trail once and then five years later they'll come back and they'll remember it perfectly. Wow. Amazing. Wow. It's so, so interesting, isn't it, that there's just like breeds of dogs that are 
that can just do stuff like that so easily. And sometimes a treat will be between my dog's front paws and he cannot <laughs> find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's on the so ground. True. It's there, bud. It's there. Come on, look, look. Here it is. And he's looking everywhere. Where? That, that, like that's been a that's been selectively bred for ages, right? Just to look cool, not to do. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. There's a type of dog that should not exist. <laughs> but I'm glad he does. <laughs> Fucking idiot. It's that. Oh, I'll get it. <laughs> Hand feed it to him. Still like what? You want me to eat your hand? <laughs> okay. What is it? Huh? By the time the relay got to the 12th musher, Charlie Evans, at Bishop Mountain, the temperature had dropped again. Now we're at minus 53 Celsius, negative 64 Fahrenheit. That's so cold that any exposed skin will blister and the cold air will scorch your lungs. Oh. As he raced below them, Evans could hear trees cracking from the cold, popping like guns going off. It's so cold the trees are cracking. Whoa. That's crazy. When Evans got to the Yukon River, he found that some of the frozen river had cracked, causing what was akin to a minefield. He had to wind along the river rather than over it out of fear of the ice falling below him. When it's that cold, if you get wet, you will die. Yep. It's as simple and terrifying as that. A few miles down the track, his two lead dogs began to stiffen up before collapsing under the conditions. And with no other option, Evans had to hitch himself to the front of the pack and pull the (gasps) sled with them. No. An incredible badass. What? And there's this great doco that I'll link to called Icebound, the greatest dog story ever told, made by Discovery Channel. And it's narrated by Patrick Stewart. And when it gets to this part of the story where Charlie Evans hitches himself to the front, he says in a beautiful Sir Patrick Stewart accent, he had become his own lead dog. <laughs> so funny. Wow. And now the dogs are like, because the dogs can run faster than humans. Yeah. So are they then kind of like, oh, oh no. God, come this on, is mate. The slowest Could lead you dog not ever. have gone to the back of the pack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are not lead dog material. You are not lead dog material. You, don't, you can't smell where we're going. <laughs> Amazingly, Charlie Evans made it and passed the serum on to the last Alaskan Athabascan musher, Jack Nikolai, a.k.a. Jack Screw. That was his nickname, Jack Jack Screw. Screw. A local legend known as a very small but very tough man, he handed the serum onto Victor Anagik, an Anupiat man. The serum had been travelling for three days but was still 240 miles from Nome, where the suspected cases of diphtheria had blown out to 16 and they were almost completely out of the expired antitoxin. So numbers are still going up and the medicine is going down. Mm. How long did it, was the journey at the start? They're hoping to do it in about a week. But ha- how far was it? Uh, 700 miles. And they've got 200 and something to go. Yeah, but it's the hardest part of the journey. Right. According to a reporter living in the town, they wrote, quote, All hope is in the dogs and their heroic drivers. Wow. Remember Alaska Governor Bone? Mm. Of course. I'll never forget. Well, I will forget. Governor Bone's office. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's fun. Governor Bone, I have your wife on the phone. (gasps) Rhymes. Cheryl Bone. (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl, is that you? Cheryl. Cheryl, darling. (laughs) Well, around this time on January 30th, he received a telegram. This is Governor Bone from the Universal News Syndicate in California asking for updates and a comment on how the serum run was going. Because, remember, it's a media storm over in Mm. mainland America, but they can't really get much first-hand information out of Gnome. The syndicate offered Bone a large amount of money for comment and for what was basically speculation about how it was going and how it would all end up. He had some idea 
that a relay, you know, that the relay was going on west as people had sent telegrams along the way. So he sort of had some information, but no one had heard from Seppala, the Lone Ranger heading east with Togo. But Bone wrote about Seppala anyway, saying that he'd already crossed the sound, crossed the frozen bit and headed to the town of Keltag. He didn't know, but it sounded good. So he just told the newspapers that. Oh dear. Which is not great journalism. No, it's, it's, um, it's not true. So it's not journalism at all. It's fake news. It, it was because Bone Day's I love. Is that a Trump impression? Well, no, but maybe. Matt, you do it. <laughs> okay, okay. What does he sound like? I don't know. China. <laughs> Fake news. Yeah, no, that's, I don't that's know. better though. Doctor Evil. <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. <laughs> so he said, yeah, 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 he's going to stop at Caltag. He didn't know that the relay had already passed through Caltag going the other way and were nearly at the coast. That was so they were supposed to meet Seppler at Caltag, but they just kept going. I could do Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, give us Biden. I could do um, Dana Carvey's Biden. Okay, he says he always finishes by saying um, Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was worth it. Come on, guys, come on, Pirates of the Caribbean. He does it. It's real fun when he does it. <laughs> an impression of an impression. <laughs> Always fun. Always good. So they've gone further than they were planning to. Yeah, they'd kept going. They were told to expect to see Seppler coming any time now and that they would flag him down and right. then give him the medicine. Yeah, because Seppler is going from the town. He's, he's, heading, he's, he's leaving heading, the town to meet them. Yes, he's yep. heading east. They're heading west and they were going to meet in Caltech, but they went through the town. Yep. They're like, we're making great time. We'll keep going. And when we see him on the trail, we'll flag him down, hand him the medicine and he'll turn around. Yeah, okay. But it's a little bit risky because Can't, if you miss him, yeah. he keeps going one way, you keep going the other way. Yeah. I'd, than I'd in say the, just wait yep. in the town. So they kept the relay going and after three days, that hit the frozen Bering Sea. There was no way to contact Seppler to see how he was going and he had no idea that the serum had travelled further than the agreed rendezvous point and he didn't know that the new plan was to flag him down. So it's, it is possible that they will miss each other. Yeah, especially if, you know, like there's, there's circumstances here where instead of being on the river, they're just to the side of the river and if you yeah. can't see your hand, exactly. you can't see someone just on the other side of the river. You know, it's, it's risky. It's risky. The serum got to Shaktulik and was handed to a half-Russian, half-Inuit man by the name of Henry Ivanov, who had been waiting in case Seppala didn't arrive. He didn't know, but Seppala wasn't far off. But a storm was coming and Ivanov was racing to get ahead of it, having already travelled 43 miles that day. Remember, they usually only travel about 30, mm. so he's already pushed it, but he's got to keep going because there's a storm coming. At first, he didn't see Seppala coming in the other direction. At this point, Ivanov had paused along the trail outside Shaktulik because he had to straighten out his team, which had gotten tangled. The dogs all got tangled after they'd had a frightening encounter with a reindeer oh and all God. the dogs are freaked out. Dasha? <laughs> no, Prancer. Oh, well, of course, yeah. it's always Prancer makes it about themselves. Prancer's yeah. the bad boy. Fucking hell, Prancer. <laughs> Gonna make up for that girly name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't prance. I stop. Call me Stomper. All right, Prancer. All right, Prancer. Okay. Settle down. Settle down, Princess. All right, sweetheart. Jeez, here we go. (laughs) Get back at hysterical, Prancer. (laughs) So, Ivanov's there with the dogs on the side of the trail getting ready again, and he sees Seppler coming. And Seppler comes around the corner and sees a man waving and shouting at him. (laughs) 
It, Ivanov was yelling, the serum, the serum, I have it here. Pretty amazing that in those conditions they saw each other. Yeah. Seppala quickly grabbed the package and he and his team of dogs turned around to immediately retrace their steps all the way back to Nome. Wow. So just immediately went, no time for chit-chat, buddy. See you later. So they end up doing, what, three times what they would normally do in a day. Yep. Amazing. Wild. When he got back to frozen Norton Sound, the frozen ocean, he had to make a dramatic decision. The fastest way back to Nome was directly over Norton Sound across the frozen ocean, but otherwise he'd have to go the long way around. But it was getting dark, sun's quickly setting, a storm was brewing, and crossing the sound meant going across 20 miles of open frozen sea, which was perilous in the dark. One false move, the ice could crack, and it could be all over. Not to mention the lack of any protection against the elements out there. He'd been told by his boss, Mark Summers, that with so many lives on the line, it was safety first and speed second. He should never put the serum at risk. But Seppala looked out at the frozen ocean sound and decided to go for it anyway. He's going to put the serum at risk. Yeah, he's going to risk everything. <laughs> wow. He gave the order to Togo, his trusted 12-year-old lead dog, to step out onto the ice, and they were off, the night closing in on them. He listened for the sound of the ice cracking, but couldn't hear anything over the wind. He just had to trust Togo. Finally, they stopped for the night at an Inuit shelter, and when Seppala woke up the next morning, the ice that he and the team had travelled across was all gone, and it had floated out to sea. So they'd only just made it. Far out. Stalled or had any delays, they would have floated out to sea and no one ever would have seen him again. Wild. Wow. Good job, Togo. Great work, Togo. You 84-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What? The next day, they pulled another 13-hour straight shift and having covered 200 miles in total of the hardest part of the relay, absolutely exhausted, Seppala handed the serum over to another musher. Charlie Olson, who took the serum a brief distance and handed it over to Gunnar Carson, another Norwegian-born musher. Carson was 43 years old and three years younger than his countryman Seppala. They both worked at the mine in Nome and Carson often worked as Seppala's assistant. He was seen as Seppala's protege. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seppala too, back in the habit. <laughs> Carson had been asked to assist in the relay, but he didn't have his own dog team, so he had to ask back home. He had to ask Seppala's wife, Constance, if he could borrow some of their dogs for the mission. How many fucking dogs have they got? If Seppala's out with nine dogs yeah. and he's like, can I borrow nine more dogs? And she's like, all right, well, I'll round some up because I've got heaps yeah, of dogs. He, part of his thing was he bred dogs. Wow. So, and he had heaps and chose the strongest ones and trained them. Wow. So he asked the That's wife, too many dogs. Constance, can I have a dog team? She agreed and Gunnar Carson chose Bolto, Bolto. as his lead dog. Yes! <laughs> this, this was seen as an unusual call as Bolto was used as a freight dog. Seppala, Bolto's owner and trainer, didn't think much of Bolto, who he thought lacked speed and he'd never picked him for any of his racing teams. But Gunnar Carson, for whatever reason, chose Bolto as his lead dog. It's like that movie where the zebra goes in the horse race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's exactly like it that. It's exactly <laughs> like that. Because the zebra is not... Like, everybody underestimated mm. the zebra. And everyone said, zebras are not for horse racing. <laughs> Because they are not horses, but that little zebra said, uh-uh. just watch me run. Put me run. in, coach. <laughs> it's how, exactly like yeah. that. How does the zebra go? Spoilers, but how they go? I've never seen it. I don't think- I just thought oh, that okay. the movie poster was funny. I think it's called Racing Stripes. That's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
It's a zebra and a horse race. I can't think Juma wins. Fun in Surely. shoes. It's a kid's movie, so I'm sure it does. Or a they kid's le- movie. Or they le- <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a gritty drama. <laughs> You're fun today. <laughs> Dave, do go on. So Gunnar Carson and Bolto now have the medicine. And at 10pm on the 1st of February, Carson started making his way back to Nome. It was the worst blizzard Carson had ever experienced. Oh, of course it was. He this couldn't see... A group of dogs that aren't his. Yes, and aren't the best dogs, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. They had given him Bolto and nine chihuahuas. <laughs> and they were, they were, they weren't pulling, they didn't have a great um, deal of like horsepower. Yeah. One of them. But they did yap the yeah. whole time. <laughs> yap power at an all time high. And he also had a zebra. <laughs> Which died instantly. <laughs> and the other, the, the chihuahuas just had to pull the zebra, yeah. zebra along the ground. Not fit for purpose. <laughs> it really feels like every single step of the way, it's been the worst possible conditions. Yep. This isn't just in the retelling, you know, the tail's gotten taller over the years. This is like, because no, it's, you're got, talking about temperatures that are Yeah, on they record. got weather reports. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. This happened to be the, the front coming across at the time. And I know, because this got turned into a Disney movie, I, I'm expecting a happy ending. This would be so brutal if they don't make it right at the end. Dave, and, uh, why did you no, pick this story? doesn't exist anymore. Oh. Yeah. Sadly, the zebra ate them all. <laughs> so it's the what? worst blizzard he's ever experienced. He couldn't see any of his dogs, let alone Bolto at the front, who couldn't hear the musher calling directions either, because usually you signal them. They can't. He can't hear. He can't hear shit. So Bolto had to go on autopilot and make his own choices as to where to go in the storm. Okay. He chose... A lounge room. <laughs> the fireplace. He chose the pet warehouse. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. He chose the toy aisle. <laughs> oh, that one. Oh, a little stuffy shaped like a coffee. Oh, oh it's fun. They had travelled 22 miles and all was on track as it could be under the circumstances when they hit Bonanza Flat. Insert Bonanza theme here. How does the Bonanza theme go? Bum, 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 I know Joe. that from uh, City Slickers. I think they yeah. sing that while they're riding the horse. Oh, nice one. <laughs> nice. Great theme. Great theme. Good to finally get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they hit Bonanza Flat and disaster struck. Oh, no. The sled flipped over. What? They did a, what, a kickflip? Yeah, but they didn't land it. Oh. They bailed. That's embarrassing. No points. That is, honestly, that is quite risky. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting cocky now. Is this the yeah. overconfident guy? Yeah, he's like, I reckon I can take this over some sweet jumps. <laughs> Carson and the dogs weren't injured, thankfully, but as he went to right the sled, he felt for the precious life-saving serum. Oh, no. Oh, you're kidding. And it was gone. Oh, my God. And it was night, and it was pitch black. Oh, my God. They're in no! a blizzard. What the hell is he going to do? And it can't get cold. It'll, yeah, it'll, it'll freeze. It'll freeze. As soon as it's freeze, it could be, could so be ruined. Like it, you can't wait till morning or anything. He's yeah, got to find he it can't now. Yeah, sit there all night. He got down, and also he'd probably die in the blizzard without if then not, him and the dogs aren't moving. He got down on hands and knees and started feeling around in the darkness. Fifth, uh, thinking like a dog. That's clever. <laughs> he started sniffing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got his nose in there. Yeah. He lost his nose immediately in the frostbite. He fell straight off. He was stuck to the ground. He was like, I can't smell glass bottles. Oh, my God. I don't know. Now my face is stuck here. I don't know what serum smells like. (laughs) Why didn't they scent it? (laughs) So He couldn't feel anything, so he took his protective gloves off. Oh, my God. Tried to feel with his bare hands. Started digging around in the snow. He suffered frostbite to his fingers. Yeah. But he felt a small bump. (gasps) 
on his testicles. <laughs> he called the doctor immediately, as you all should. Always check your bits. I think it's that you've had a big coffee and a big orange juice. That's the perfect combo. Yeah. <laughs> he found a lump on his testicles and then he and said, then he okay, said, back all right. to searching. Okay, I'll see the doctor tomorrow. I'll put it in the calendar. I'll go straight away. I'm not going to dilly-dally on this one. Now, he now found that a I've warmed up my he hands found a in my bu- scrotum. <laughs> he found a second bump. What? <laughs> the other testicle. Oh, my God. But then a third bump. It was the serum. <gasps> Is it still all bundled up in the quilt? Yeah, thankfully he oh. felt it. It was unbroken. Oh, so he just needs to find one lump. I'm unfro- thinking all the little bottles oh, have got yeah. everywhere. Oh, no, no, no. Like so still, he just had to find the package okay. in the dark. Yep, yep, yep. Oof. He got back on the sled and continued on into the oh. night, but now he's got frostbitten fingers. Wow. It was expected that at about 2 a.m. he would reach his destination, the aptly named Point Safety, where he would hand over the medicine to the man that would be the last musher in the run. Ed Roan. Roan was a gnome local. He's Roan from Gnome. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good fun. He's known in Rome. (laughs) Rome is known in Rome. (laughs) Rome is known in Gnome. Am I getting close? Rome's home home is in Gnome. (laughs) He's not known in Gnome. He's available on the phone. (laughs) He wrote a long book. Now he'll read from his epic tome. (laughs) Do you think there's something collectively wrong with us? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And th- this guy, like in any relay race at the Olympics or whatever, they normally have the gun last. You've absolutely nailed it. This he is the Kathy champion. Freeman. He owned the fastest dogs in the whole country over short distances. He was chosen as the anchor for the relay. The Usain Bolt is yep. what I, mm. I refer to him as. Two and my, four are usually the fastest. Yeah. Oh, why is that? Is that or is it one straight? and four? I think it's one and four. You probably want right. a good start and a good strong finish. Start, finish. So, yeah, this it's guy's a, fast at the end. It's real, It's interesting because to me it doesn't make any sense. It's just like 400-metre sprints. It doesn't really matter what order it is, mm. but that is like the there science is, of yeah. it. Yeah, I was I always two because I can't run around bends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> two or four for me. I'll run straight. I reckon that maybe it's the fourth are the most likely to look around and go, fuck it, I can do it. Yeah, right. I can make this up. Yeah. Push hard. Yeah. Which is what they wanted from Roan from Gnome. Now, there's some slightly conflicting accounts of what happened next. The most oft-reported story is that Carson, Gunnar Carson with Bolto, made it to point safety only to find that Ed Roan was asleep, having expected Carson to arrive much later. Thinking that it would take too long for Roan to get set up, get appropriately dressed for the conditions, and then ready his dogs, Carson decided to just continue on and complete the final 25 miles of the journey himself. Wow. Others have speculated that Carson continued on knowing that he would get all the more glory oh. if he was the one to hand over the serum. What a, I mean, he's a, what a, why talk like that? Oh, this guy, assuming he makes it, oh, look, yeah, he saved the day. Because if that is his decision, it's it's a dumb one because of this, how many people up until this point and packs of dogs have done chunks of this journey if it is, if that is his decision, it's a selfish one. Yeah, but how would they? They would have no way of knowing yeah, that. So yeah. just saying that is them being like, yeah, classic. This well, guy who totally, risked his yeah. life. I mean, there is debate. Some people say Ed Roan wasn't asleep. He was ready. He he right. didn't stop. He kept going. But it's it's a hundred years ago, so there are conflicting totally. accounts, and it does affect the way this story is remembered in history, which we'll talk about. So, but this is that's the the decision he makes. 
He's just going to keep going. He's kept going. At 5.30 a.m. on February... Even though there's a, a fresh person and a fresh set of dogs And that waiting. person is the fastest in the country. Great. Perfect. Yeah, cool. Just but, keep going, I reckon. But, You're exhausted dogs. But he said, his version of accounts is, he was asleep. It might take him an hour to get dressed, to get the dogs ready, get it settled. Yeah, this guy takes forever. Mm. He's like, I'll just keep going. It'll be faster. Long That's- shower. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll just waste his effort to get here in the first place. It takes him so long putting in the brill cream. Which is probably what they used in their hair back then. Probably. Ugh, this guy. This guy. What a nightmare. Ugh. He looks fantastic. Don't get me and wrong. And his dogs take forever to wake up. They're oh, all like, yeah. not until I've had my coffee. And I'm yes. like, I don't think you can give dogs coffee, you know? Ugh. But the dogs, they won't run without they their coffee. They won't run without it. So. Don't, even, don't even talk to those dogs until they've had no, their coffee. Don't even mush those dogs <laughs> until they've had their coffee. At 5.30 a.m. on February the 2nd, Carson rode into town and startled the sleeping Dr. Welch when he pounded on his door. It had taken 20 dog sled teams, comprising over 150 dogs, who covered 674 miles on nearly 1,100 kilometres, but the serum had made it. And what's more, after Dr. Welch thawed the serum, he found that it was usable. Okay, that's big. I like the idea that he he woke up. Dr. Welsh and Dr. Welsh is like, hey, come on. Well, don't talk to me unless I've had my coffee. <laughs> yeah, give us some. Fucking hell. Give us some time. They can wait. And do you think um, he was a bit upset that he, he came in at 5.30 in the morning so nobody was, like, lining the streets to see him? <laughs> and he was like, fuck, where's the parade? parade I wanted? Where is the parade? So cynical. I mean, either way, this man has risked his life to save the kids. So have many, many others. That's right. 20 of, co- 20 oh. of them. That's wild. Of course. But I, it just seems wild that people yeah. are going, looking for the negative there. Yeah. He stole Rome from gnomes. <laughs> Big moment. Big mo. Yeah. No, I mean, if I was Rome from gnome and uh, they're like, you don't have to do it, I'll probably be like, uh, but I really wanted to. Yeah. Just can I have that on the record? To. I was ready. I was ready. I was, I was just getting a little kip in. So he found the serum was usable. It was only about a quarter of what was necessary overall, but it was enough to halt an epidemic. And on February the 8th, another dog sled relay was launched with more serum that had been procured, and it too made the perilous journey. Many of the same mushes were involved, so they did it it twice. Some serum was also launched by plane, backed by William Fentress Thompson, remember the eccentric newspaper editor who owned a plane. And I'm sorry. The front page news was, plane's good. (laughs) Dog's bad. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry to say the plane never even took off. The conditions were just too full on. Ah, that, that guy was right. The flight will never work. <laughs> never, planes will never take off. And Thompson wrote in his newspaper because it was a bit embarrassing for him because he kept saying this is the way, it's, it's the faster, way. it's better. He had to write and this is basically his uh, admitting defeat. Oh, how everyone likes to put in with the winner and laugh at the loser. The only satisfaction is that we've never worried if you can laugh with us or at us as long as you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's in it for the comedy. <laughs> that is so funny. What? Oh, that is so funny. Oh, man. That is not where I thought he was going to go. So no. I thought it was going to be, it doesn't matter to us as long as the medicine made it. <laughs> this thing was, it doesn't com- matter to us yeah, as right. long as the comedy survives. Yeah. Isn't laughter the best medicine? <laughs> he signed off by saying, the airship will go on when it can. We take our hat off to the dog. That is so funny. <laughs> 
That's great. <laughs> they made it. But the plane was never needed because the ever-reliable dog sled got there again. This time, Ed Roan from Gnome ran the final part of the relay as intended the first time, and I'm happy to report that over the next couple of weeks, the whole town was inoculated, and by February 21, the lockdown was lifted and life returned to normal. Wow. Dr. Welsh recorded that only five people had died in the outbreak, but deaths amongst Inuit people were not properly recorded, so it's likely much higher than that, despite the fact that most of the mushers that saved the day were Alaska natives. Mm-hmm. That tracks, yeah. Terrible. Because this is 20 years before they had equal rights. Yep. Because, yeah, fuck. One good thing that came from the press coverage was that after this, inoculation against diphtheria greatly increased across the United States and it was eventually relegated to a thing of the past. So this was good advertising for, hey, this is where you get your shots. Get your shots? Get your your (laughs) shots. Oh, that's when you're overconfident. Get your shots. (laughs) You can get your shots. That's how you get your nuggets. Oh, I see. They're not nuggets, shots, I don't think. No. (laughs) Dependent. No, don't. Don't take it any further. Speaking of the press that had been following the story like man, they wanted to know who was this mysterious Gunner Carson that handed over the serum. He wasn't expected to complete the journey. And what about his dogs? Who were they? Well, Bolto had been the lead dog on the mission, but for at least the last part of the journey, he'd been paired with another dog called Fox. Apparently, one of the first journos on the scene thought it would confuse his readers if he reported on a lead dog called Fox. (laughs) Is it a fox or a dog? (laughs) (laughs) They really... uh, (laughs) <laughs> underestimated people's intelligence back um, then. Jeez, imagine what your dog would do. Yeah, very confusing. Was it a goose? You've got a pet goose. <laughs> so this journal reported that Bolto was the sole lead dog and Bolto became an overnight sensation, a real media darling. He was declared the hero of the mission. Photos and videos were taken of Carson and Bolto. But they had to wait until spring when the ice had thawed for the photos to arrive in the contiguous United States and appear in newspapers across the US. Then the film footage was screened, and a few weeks later, Gunnar Carson, Bolto, and the crew reenacted the run for Hollywood cameras, further elevating them into stardom. This is why people say he did it for the publicity, because he got heaps of it. Wow. The 25-minute film called Bolto's Race to Gnome came out in 1925, and I'm happy to say it has a huge 9.2 rating on IMDb. Yes. There's no way he could have known that he would have got this much attention. You're so upset about this. I just feel like what, like it seems so strange to for mm. them to focus on that. To project that onto someone. I think I think it tracks, but... Oh, you reckon it makes sense? I think he- if that's what he... I think that there is a case that, to argue that he could have done it because of the But fame. this is the point. There's no... But you, you, that's a guess. So why even speculate just in well, case he might Well, it seems to be pretty have. obvious that the last person to do it will be reported on and interviewed more than anyone else. Y- yeah, but it's, someone has to be the last person. And he, if, it, if it, what he said is true, he possibly wouldn't have survived if he waited the extra hour or whatever. Yeah, that's right. But I'm, what I'm saying is I think either could be correct. Yes, but if, one, if you're not sure of one, why bother speculating on the negative? Oh, because a lot of people have. No, not you. I'm not. I'm not having to go at you. No. Talking about the. I don't know why a lot of people have focused on that. Well, there could be a, a reason I'll get to here. The film toured theaters across the United States, and Gunnar Carson would appear in person at the end. He'd come out and be like, "Hey, here I am," and then so would Balto. <laughs> so they did a big tour of the United States, but not everybody was happy with Balto's fame. 
Leonard Seppala, who himself had traveled the largest and most dangerous part of the serum run and who owned Bolto and thought very little of the dog, was annoyed that what he saw as a second-rate dog was getting all the attention. Meanwhile, his brave beast, Togo, was getting nothing. Yeah, there was like 150 dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And even he's like, it's not fair that that dog gets all the attention because my dog was also (laughs) in it, you know? And to the, to the end of his days, Seppala was bitter about it. Oh, don't let something like that ruin your life. A statue of Bolto sculpted by Frederick Roth was erected in New York City's Central Park. Another thing for us to see in the, on the US tour. On December 17th, 1925, 10 months after Bolto's arrival in, in Nome, Bolto himself was present for the monument's unveiling, which would be, <laughs> I'm sure he, he knew that that was him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I get it. But Leonard Seppala was not happy. He said... I hope I shall never be the man to take away credit from any other dog or driver who participated in that run. We all did our best, but when the country was roused to enthusiasm over the serum run driver, I resented the statue to Balto, for if any dog deserved special mention, it was Togo. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's not, un- it's not like he didn't get any credit or fame. Seppala, Togo, and a team of his dogs went on a victory tour in the lower 48 states as well, making various stops, including in Seattle, California, and New York City. Seppala and Togo were also featured in a Lucky Strike cigarette campaign. Oh, my God. And That's what they would have wanted. And a chewing gum collector card was also issued featuring the pair. The team appeared multiple times at Madison Square Garden. They Huge. appeared together. Oh, this is Seppala and Togo. Seppala and Togo. And on December 30. Togo was awarded a gold medal by polar explorer and Norwegian hero Roald Amundsen. So, what more do you want, Seppala? Yeah, I, do, I, I just don't get, like, the you rest got- of his life he was focused on this. Mm. Yeah, he like, was the furious. the dog doesn't care. Dog he, doesn't the know. dog Bolto was just a, you know, just a, like a symbol of all the dogs. Yeah, but he was mostly annoyed that that he thought the dog was second rate. That was what irked him the yeah, most. He's like, yeah. out of all the dogs, this is probably the shittest dog out there. But that, that, that makes the story better. Mm. I think so, for sure. It's like he's just some some mutt in Seppler's eyes and he proved that he could step up and do it. But the fame of the mission allowed Seppler to begin a Siberian dog kennel and partnership with Elizabeth M. Ricker in Maine, where Togo lived out his days in a life of luxury eventually passing away at the age of 16. Whoa. That's old for one of them dogs, from Mm. what I understand. And he fathered many pups in that time, laying down the foundation for the modern Siberian sled dog breed known as the Sepala Siberian Sled Dog and also the Siberian Husky. Modern Siberian Huskies registered in the US are almost entirely the descendants of the 1930 Siberian imports and of Leonard Sepala's dogs, particularly Togo. What? So... Most of them are related to Togo. Wow. Togo's body was taxidermied and is on display in the Peabody Museum of Natural History's collection at Yale University. It's so funny how much credit it got and he still was so bitter bitter about it. Still bitter. And honestly, things worked out better for Togo. The next couple of years weren't as nice for Bolto, I'm afraid. By 1926, Bolto and six other dogs were sold to a Museum of Oddities in Los Angeles where they were kept in awful conditions and mistreated. What? That's no way to treat a hero. It's a hero dog. But the next year in 1927, George Kimball, a travelling salesman from God's country, Cleveland, (laughs) saw the exhibit and and the mistreated dogs and vowed to do something to help them. With the help of the Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper, Kimball established the Balto Fund, 
The people of Cleveland generously rallied to the cause. School children collected monies in buckets. Factory workers passed their hats. Hotels, stores and visitors donated what they could to the Bolto Fund. And in the end, they raised $2,200 to buy and rescue the dogs. I think that's a that's a, a beautiful end of the story because it means that the person mistreating the dogs got a big payday. Got a, got a big reward. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's nice. That's what it's all about. On March 19, 1927, Bolto and his six remaining companions were brought to Cleveland and given a hero's welcome in a triumphant parade. They finally got the parade <laughs> through Public Square. They were then moved to the Cleveland Zoo where apparently they lived much better lives. Yeah, I've turned back on that guy, whoever the last the last guy to run into town who you thought was doing it maybe for the glory. Seppala. He no, the other guy. Oh, you mean uh, Gunnar Carlson. Gunnar Carlson, yeah. I've, I've come back around on him. I don't like him. He Jeez. sold his dog like that to a place that was going to mistreat it so badly. But it Maybe wasn't he even did his just dog. It for the glory. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know if Seppala, who technically owned the dogs, I don't know if he sold it because oh. he was like, I hate this dog. Right. I don't know. Oh, good who point. Knows? All right, I'm back around on Carlson. <laughs> Carlson's still your man. When Bolto died in 1933 at the age of 14, he still lived a long life for the breed, he too was taxidermied and stuffed and can now be seen at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. Okay, another stop on our tour. Yeah, two mm. stuffed dogs, one statue of a dog. Yeah, yeah. We'll just do the dog tour via sled. Ooh, Jess? Love that. You'll be, ru- you'll be leading running? us. Yeah. Fair. Now, the gnome serum run, as we've already talked about, and particularly the dogs involved here have been the subject of a few movies, including in 1995, Bolto, starring Kevin Bacon. This film was a major financial disappointment because it was overshadowed by the release of Pixar's Toy Story. Uh, Oof, yeah. But its subsequent sales on home video led to two more direct-to-video sequels, Bolto 2, Wolf Quest, and Bolto 3, Wings of Change. Wow. Though none of the original voice cast reprised their roles. Mm. Air Bud was also based on a lot of changes to the story. <laughs> In 2019, Disney made a live-action film called Togo, starring Willem Dafoe as Leonard Seppala. So Togo got his own movie too, and it has a 7.9 rating on IMDb, which is higher than Bolto the cartoon, which is only a 7.1. So maybe he got the last laugh in the end. (laughs) (laughs) That is my report on the Gnome Serum Run. Great story. That had a little bit of everything. Yeah. Dogs, cold. Honestly, I've, I've seen... I'm aware of these sort of movies, but they always seem dull to me. I'm like, ugh, you know. But then I hear the story, I'm like, oh, that's very cinematic. (laughs) That'd be an awesome movie. Yeah. I don't know why I would think that'd be boring. Oh, it's some dogs running in the snow. Whatever. I get it. Yeah. But no, that's- But you don't get it. I didn't get it. Clearly not. Now I think I'm starting to get it. I'm pretty sure Bob Hoskins played the goose. Oh, yeah. I just looked it up. Bob Hoskins. Yeah. I love how you just looked it up and you're only pretty sure. Well, it says he played Boris and I'm pretty sure Boris was the goose. Right. Gotcha. From memory. Now, and he's the one with- um, People bumps. People bumps. It's good stuff. It's good That's classic stuff. Hoskins. Classic Hoskins. It's funny shit. Award-winning actor. Well, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show where we spend a little bit of time thanking our great Patreon supporters. If you want to get involved, you can go to patreon.com slash pod. Jess, what are some of the things that they can get involved with there? Well, you can be part of the Facebook group that is the nicest corner of the internet. You get to vote on uh, what topics that we are going to do our reports on. Um, you get early access to live shows 
three bonus episodes a month. Honestly, the list goes on. It Honestly. Does. Honestly. And if we were going to be honest, which we will, mm-hmm. the list goes on. The list goes on. Uh, one of the other things on that list is uh, the Fact Quota Questions section. And uh, this is open for people on the Sydney Scheinberg level or above. This section actually has a jingle, I think, or something like this. Fact Quota Question. Ding. Always remembers the ding. Oh, she always remembers the sing. <laughs> and the way this works is people on the Sydney Schoenberg level or above get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question, or a joke, or a brag, or a suggestion, or really whatever they like. And uh, I read them out on the show for the first time when I read them out on the show, which makes sense. Uh, but that's just me uh, covering myself in case I misread anything. Uh, the first one this week comes from Amy Clark, and they also get to give themselves a title. And Amy's title is... Former chief embalmer sans ass packing. Fruit is so bright, I gotta wear shades. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a lot to fit on the badge, but I like it a lot. Uh at Do Go On Incorporated, we we make everyone wear badges. Uh and we Amy make them. <laughs> put it on. And Amy has offered us a quote writing. I've been listening to almost too many podcasts since being fired out of the blue 10 days before Christmas. Ugh. Come on, Amy. Jeez. And though I don't know if it's well known or who may have originally said it, my quote comes from one of the fiction pods I've been enjoying while looking for new employment. This is the quote. When your back's against the wall, you may as well strike a pose. As soon as I heard it, I decided to adopt it as a new mantra to help me get through this generally unfun and occasionally overwhelming time. I'd been considering submitting the Mother Jones quote, which is, whatever the fight, don't be ladylike, but I decided to take my former employer to court for wrongful termination instead of to a back alley for my retribution. And I need more reminders to keep it light and remember that this too shall pass than I do on being less ladylike. Many thanks to you three and all your wonderful guests, as always, for bringing laughter and glee to myself and so many others week after week. Wow. Holy shit, Amy. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah, good luck with the fight. Keep fighting the good fight. Um, this was sent in a few weeks ago, so hopefully um, hopefully this has all come to a positive mm. uh, conclusion, or if not, it's on the way to, and you're right, all things shall pass. I like the strike a pose quote too. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, that's great. Cheers, Amy. Uh, next one comes from Emily Path, okay, executive director of- uh, um, <laughs> And Emily's offered- <laughs> A joke writing, what do you call a lazy baby kangaroo? Should I have a stab at this or? Lazy baby kangaroo. Something to do with Joey. Surely, yeah. Joe. A pouch potato. Oh, that's pretty good. That's even better than I expected. I was expecting it to be great. (laughs) (laughs) A pouch potato. That's good. A pouch potato. Again, alliteration. Fun. That's Emily's uh, first entry into the Fat Quota Questions section. A fantastic entry. We, we rarely get a joke, if no, ever. I've only just added it as into the drop-down menu. Excellent. So, uh, hopefully more will be coming. Thank you so much. The next one comes from Fahad Al-Thani, who is head coach of the Dugan basketball team. And really, Fahad, you've been doing some fantastic work. Mm, I've been perfecting my layup. Jess has always been strong, but Dave and I, our games have come on in leaps mm-hmm. and bounds since you got on board. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I, I I still say gazy whenever I make a layup. Yeah, but 
now more often than not, I get it in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Fahad's offered a fact writing. My fact is about the weirdest yellow card in English football history. Once in 2012, a football or soccer player for Portsmouth named Levi Foster was having his cleats checked by the referee before kickoff. But while he was checking his cleats, Levi farted in the referee's face. The ref was so mad, he almost gave him a red card, but was talked down to giving him a yellow. His excuse for farting was that he had a curry the night before. (laughs) And the best part is that he was named man of the match after Portsmouth's 5-0 win. Uh, Wow. He's linked to a Mirror article for proof. Is it um headline something about a brown card? Oh, okay. Let's see. Because that would be good. That would be good. I think the mirror is a tabloid, so it will. if it's like our Herald Sun, it will have a funny or a funny-like a headline. No, this is just <laughs> this is just telling it like it is headline. Player Foot- farts on referee's face. Yes, basically. Football player gets booked for farting in ref's face. <laughs> I'd click that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <me too. laughs> <laughs> that is appealing. Uh, that's good stuff. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. Uh, that's definitely kind of, if I remember, I'm going to put that in a who knew it question for sure. <laughs> Finally this week, we've got one from Paul Meller. Okay, proud international member of the St Kilda Football Club, oh. Oldham Branch. That is sick, Paul. Uh, time of recording, we're one from one. Wow, and, uh, the streak. The streak is Is this on. the start? One loss. A uh, win, sorry. Oh, <laughs> Against the odds, we're playing Dave's team this week at the time of recording. But, uh, yeah, hopefully... I think my team is zero from one. That's correct. So, uh uh-oh. Bob's team's one from one and looking real good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You saw that? You watched that? You went to the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The boys, they went out there, they gave 110%. Honestly, they looked very impressive. Tomo and Dave and uh, Jerry. (laughs) Good shit. Love Uh, the pies. Uh, anyway, Paul has offered us a fact writing. Hi, all. I have another strange Oldham-based fact I discovered recently. Whether it is fun is up to Jess to decide. That's right. It As is always. up to me. But I'm glad that's respected. Yes. I am the the merchant of fun. Yes. The m- merchant of mirth. No. <laughs> the merchant no, of fun. We, let me finish. The merchant of mirth is me, mm-hmm. but the merchant of fun, of course, is Jess. <laughs> is she? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's mirthful, which I can say. <laughs> Paul continues, in the 1960s, the powers that be decided to test a new teaching method to help children learn to read. This was done using an alphabet called the Initial Teaching Alphabet, ITA, Uh, and was trialled in the Oldham experiment. This alphabet consisted of 24 letters of the alphabet plus 20 more characters or symbols to make phonetic sounds. After primary school children had been taught with this alphabet, they then moved on to the traditional alphabet. The symbols look like two letters smushed together. Uh, Mushed together. Uh, (laughs) There are examples of books in our local gallery, and although they look strange, you can kind of work it out. For example, the sound A-E, as in gate, was spelled A mushed together with an E. Oh, yep. And the sound O-E in goat was spelled O mushed together with E. Is that how, you know, those phonetic guides mm. in dictionaries and stuff? Is that what that means? People, I, I read that, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Oh, there you go. Well, there is a phonetic alphabet, but is this, this oh, is this different? Oh, a separate one, maybe, right. Mm. So, the sentence, I have a goat, would be written, I have a goat, G, G, O smushed with E, T. 
It fell out of popularity and thankfully I missed this in the 70s. Still, I look around my town at that slightly older generation and think, yes, this explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the great pods. (laughs) Loving all the content you put out. Keep the faith, Paul. I think that's a Saints related keep the faith. Appreciate that, Paul. I'm always keeping the faith. Always. You got to as a Saints supporter. You simply must. And happy 150 years, Paul, to you and all the Saints supporters out Mm. there. Uh, And cheers for becoming a member. I love that. You can be an international member. So good. So that's our facts, quotes, and questions. The next thing we like to do is thank a few of our other fantastic Patreon supporters. And normally uh, with this section, Jess, you normally come up with a bit of a game based on the topic at hand. Yeah. I was thinking about um, naming their their lead dog. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what, who do we have? We had Fox. We had- Bolto. Bolto. We had Prince. Togo, Prince. So many names still left up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to make sure- we're not doubling up. Yes. We had to recap. Okay. That's good. <laughs> uh, if I could kick us off. Sure. I'd love to thank from Singleton in New South Wales, Australia. It's Melissa LP. Jingle. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jingle's a great dog. Jingle. 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 Here. Jingle. Jingle. Mush, Drop it. Jingle. Mush. Drop it. <laughs> mush. Mush. Ah, ah. Jingle. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. I love that as a dog name. Mm. Uh, I'd also love to thank from Kensington in maybe Maryland in the United States. It's Scott Turner. Scott Turner. What about um, Wigwam? Wigwam. Okay, I like that. Wigwam. 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 Uh, Good Wigwam. I'd also love to thank from West Beach in South Australia, it's Aidan Malloy. Mm-hmm. What are we thinking? I'm thinking uh, Shepherd's Pie. Oh, yes. That's cute. And people are like, oh, I assume it's a um, German Shepherd. No. No. Chihuahua. I I assume it's a pie. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not until it's lived a full life. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to use for the next person, I'm going to tell you one of my favourite dog names I've ever heard. Okay, but only if it fits their name, okay? Only if you think it matches. Okay, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you hang on to it until you get to one that that doesn't matter. None of them. I don't think any of them. Well, uh... Jess, do you want to thank a few of our great I guess. support? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty deflated now. <laughs> I mean, you could have just lie. I really <laughs> thought you could have just. Nah, said- <laughs> just, oh, it doesn't work. They all go together, right? But I still want to thank these people. <laughs> I would love to thank from, well, we'd say Berwick. You might say Berwick in uh, Pennsylvania. Tom Henry, PA Pennsylvania? Yeah, and Tom yeah. Henry. Tom Henry. It's a, it's, a, it's a great name, but Topper. just- Superman. Did you meet a dog called Superman? No. Oh, because it's pretty good. Tom Henry, I think that matches with Superman beautifully. I, I know. That's why I allocated Superman oh, to him. You're still holding back your favourite. Yeah, I'm holding back. Okay. I'll show you. It's a TikTok. I'll show you later. <laughs> but unfortunately, none of these people deserve this name. Wow. Okay. It's that good. That's how good it is. Because these people are great. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate them so much. No, I was thinking um, Henry, Henry Cavill, Superman. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, I would also love to thank from Boston, where Harvard is, um, <laughs> Caleb Plummer. Caleb Plummer. Uh, the bird. The bird. The bird. I like that. That's the nice. bird. The bird, bird, not bird. No. The bird. This or, is my dog, the bird. This is my dog, the bird. Okay. But you could call it bird for short, birdie. Birdie. No, that'd be nicknames. Bird. Yeah. Yeah, true. You never end up calling your dog their actual name. No. Nah. Lots of nicknames. Um, ours is Goobatron. Um, and I, finally, for me, I would love to thank from Blandford Forum in Great Britain, 
I would love to thank Samuel Matheson. Wilhelm. Oh, that's good. Willie Wilhelm. That's a good yeah. one. Yep, love that. The Kaiser. The Kaiser. <laughs> Dave, would you like to thank some people? I would love to. Now, this next person from a location that is unknown to us, possibly to them. We don't know. Do they know where they are? Is it the Fortress of the Moles? I can only assume. Big shout out to Benjamin Humpage. Humpage. You getting a good humpage out of <laughs> Benjamin Humpage. How's the humpage in those hips? Well, I'm getting about 28 to 29 reps per minute. That's not bad. That's great. One every two seconds. That's good fun. I've tried One. to use- <laughs> Can I go with- <laughs> That's very slow. That's very slow. But, but hum- we, you could be in like a re- rehabilitation yes. sort of thing. Exactly. I'm hoping to get up to 35 by the end of the week. Yeah, to get your thrustage right <laughs> yeah, up my to- My thrustage, my humpage is down. Uh, can I go with Topper? Which Topper! I think, I think great. it's a great- After the clash. The drama. Drama. Topper Hayden. Topper, I think, is a great name for a dog. Love that. Topper. Topper. I would like to thank from Frome in Great Britain. It is Alex Whitehead. Come on, Jess. Use your best one. Why? That's pretty- That's a, that is, that's a great name. A name that can be applied to a few things, I think. All right, fine. I saw a TikTok about a little dog, a little fluffy dog whose tongue was always sticking out, and his name was Stuntman Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That feels perfect for Alex. Stop me, Mike. <laughs> I love that. It's such a good, it's so funny. It's this woman who her husband has like a, a proper hunting dog and he's very proud of his hunting dog. And then she has this little fluffy idiot called Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike. And she keeps like, she got her husband a portrait of his beautiful hunting dog, like portrait done. But then in the background is Stuntman Mike holding a duck. It's very funny. Oh, I loved it. I found, found Stuntman Mike's got an Instagram. Yeah, I love Stuntman Mike. With almost 20,000 followers. Oh, Killing so it, Stuntman Mike. <laughs> Stuntman Mike has more followers than I do. That feels right. It does feel right. Yep, anyway, right Stuntman Mike. Hey, Alex Whitehead, now you've got your own Stuntman Mike. So funny. And finally, I'd like to thank from Fremantle in WA, it is Spencer Parks. Spencer Parks. Barry. Uh, oh, yeah. Barry. Barry. One of my favourite dogs at the park who always gets in trouble. Barry. Barry. I think Barry's just one of my favourite names. Barry, oh. Gary, Bruce, Greg. Yeah. They're all good. They're Barry. so good. I'll go back to you, Barry. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Did you hear he the voice of Yoga Gorilla died recently? Oh, who was it? Uh, it was an Australian actor. Oh, okay. But I, it wasn't someone that I'd recognise from other things? I think maybe it was also in Mad Max. I, oh. I, I only found this out because uh, we were tweeted by- one of our great listeners. Who was it? I can't remember. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you know Yoga Gorilla, the ads? You know Yogo, the yogurt? Oh, yeah, yeah. The and then they have a, like the cartoon with the yellow snake. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And on the phone saying, I'll get back to you, Barry. Yeah, okay. Uh, it was Street Machine, the magazine, uh, tweeted letting me know that uh, Paul P.J. Johnson, Aussie voice over actor extraordinaire, best known to us as Mad Max's Kundalini. Uh, but also, oh, he was also in Cold Chisel's Forever Now film clip and the voice of Yogo Gorilla. So that, what, what a career. career. <laughs> Jinx. <War. laughs> That's sick. Yeah. Rest in peace, PJ. Good, Good name for a dog too, mm-hmm. in honour of. Mm. So uh, if anyone didn't like their dog name. Take PJ instead. PJ's there for you. So thank you so much to Spencer, Alex, Benjamin, Samuel, Caleb, Tom, Aiden, Scott and Melissa. And the last thing we need to do is welcome a few people into the Triptych Club. Now, Dave, 
what is the Triptych Club? It's mysterious to me. Can you explain it? No, it's it's not <laughs> mysterious. It's a thing of beauty is what it is. It's a, it's a clubhouse, a hall of fame where we induct people that have been on the shout-out level for three years or above or more. They've hit this. We've already given them a shout-out a couple of years back, but they've stayed true with us. And to thank them again, we induct them into this hall of fame, this clubhouse, this theatre of the mind sort of club restaurant that we've built. There's live music, there's food, there's drinks, there's shows, there's chill-out sections. And uh, Jess usually comes up with a bit of food or a drink that we add to the menu. Every week the menu gets longer and longer. Yeah. We are – it feels a bit poor taste. But I didn't. I didn't but know. But it tastes good. It tastes good. But I am serving sled dog. Okay. What literal sled dog? Or that's just the name of a cocktail. It's just the name of it. <laughs> Don't look into it. Okay. Oh my god. Um, also, all the cocktails <laughs> and even just like a, a glass of beer are going to be served with dry ice. You know, oh, they, they make yeah. it a cocktail look all fancy and stuff. I'm going. I'm going to be doing that. That's great. So I'd be careful. If You're I'm working here. hard back there. I'm working the a bar. bit too hard. I think. I think I'm overthinking it. <laughs> you know I what would be good. I was quite stressed. If you, you know what would be great that. for people coming out of the cold would be a, just a bowl of hot soup if you could organise something I like that. I don't have any soup <laughs> left. Oh, well, it was so hot it just boiled away. <laughs> and Dave, you normally book a band for the after party. Oh my god, you're never going to believe it. I've booked a band from Alaska. For this week, and it's just a coincidence. I've booked these obviously months, if not years, in advance for these people's schedules. This week, we've got uh, the American metal band 36 Crazy Fists. Oh, oh yeah. I love 36 Crazy Fists. What's they- the name of their, their big song? Uh, what well, I mean, what, what I love all their songs. Yeah. I think I may have even gone to a, a gig of theirs, but I can't even remember any of their songs. Thirty Six Crazy Fists. Uh, my favorite song is Blood Work. Blood Work, I also yeah, love that's Skin the one. and Atmosphere. Destroy the map, and uh, I'll go until my heart stops. Yeah, all good songs. Beautiful band, beautiful message, beautiful addition to our lineup tonight. Exactly. Uh, But before we get there, we're going to invite a few new names and faces into the Triptych Club. I'm going to read out the names. I'm standing at the door. I'm the doorman. I've got the clipboard. I'm going to read out uh, these names. And Dave's on stage. He's hosting the evening, and he's going to hype you up. Get the crowd going. Absolutely. With a bit of weak wordplay. And Jess will also be there to hype Dave up. Because, Very strong you know. wordplay. Thank you. <laughs> that, I mean, there's a great example of Jess hyping Dave up. Uh, so, if I can kick us off, are you ready, Dave? Let's open the floodgates. All right. I'd love to welcome in from Boston, Massachusetts in the United States. It's Michelle Rutan. Michelle, my bell, Rootin, Rootin, son of a gun. Welcome, Michelle, from St. Paul in Minnesota in the United States. It's Hans Christensen. Oh, St. Paul, they should call it St. Hans. Yeah, because you're a saint. You're a saint to me. Okay, Hans Christian and a son uh, for you. I hope you have a great family. What the fuck are you doing? Victoria, in Australia, it's Tubby Glanville. You make me feel Tubby Gladville. Yeah. Me too. From <laughs> Golden Grove in South Australia, it's Heidi Stoll. Well, this night has just gotten a bit more Golden Grove now. Heidi's here, am I right? <laughs> Heidi stole my heart. Hasn't Shut up. Stalled Shut in, up. Uh, <laughs> How dare you. From Raygate in Great Britain, it's Jonathan Withers. This night will never wither. Now, Jonathan Withers is with us. Woo! 
Oh, yeah, that's good. No, no, it's from Greeley <laughs> in Colorado in the United States. It's Cindy Hernandez. Cindy, you are my number one. We'll never rescind your invitation. Welcome into the club. <laughs> oh, man, thank you for saving me. That. No, don't you dare. <laughs> okay, okay Cindy, you are my number one. Bindi. <laughs> and you know what that means. You know what that means Cindy to me. gets it. We've got, a special, we've got a special relationship. From Brighton in Great Britain, it's Lottie and Bobby. A hottie and a hobby. Yeah, hottie and hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Come on in, hottie and hobby. From Woo! Eastbourne in Great Britain, it's Tom. <laughs> Tom. I mean, not much to work with here, but let's just go with T stands for uh, tremendous. Uh-huh. O, that yes. stands for, oh, my God, it's Tom. <laughs> yeah. And M stands for, my favourite person is Tom. <laughs> my love for you was Eastbourne tonight. Welcome in from what, address of unknown. <laughs> <laughs> can only shoot from deep within the fortress of the moles. Please welcome in Suze. I would never snooze on Suze. Yes, snooze on Suze. From Edinburgh in Great Britain, it's Thomas Perrit. Thomas Perrit. Well, you've got lots of merit. Yeah. I thought you were going to say merit. Merit. Thomas Perrit. <laughs> I love how you can zig and zag. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, from Portland, Oregon in the United States, it's Ray Bradley. This night will never go Ray badly. Yeah. It'll go Ray Bradley. Yeah. Ray of sunshine and they will. Welcome in, Ray, Thomas, Suze, Tom, Lottie, Bobby, Cindy, Jonathan, Heidi, Tubby, Hans and Michelle. Welcome one and all. Welcome in. Grab yourself a drink. Get comfortable. Sorry about it, too. And uh, just enjoy 36 Crazy Fists. Welcome to the stage now. Woo. And that's all we have time for here on the show. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've had to edit out their set due to copyright reasons, but <laughs> let's just say they rocked. They blew the roof off. Bop, is there anything we need to tell people before we go? Um, that we love them and to mm. wa- uh, wash your butt mm-hmm. and that if you would like to suggest a topic, you absolutely can. There's a link in the show notes and also on our website, Do Go On Pod, where you can also find info on our other podcasts and uh, info about live shows. And you can find us on social media at Do Go On Pod. Hey, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, we'll say thank you so much for listening and I'll say goodbye. Later. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.